We are back, ladies and gentlemen, HLTV Confirmed, episode nine, coming at you thick and fast on this Monday evening. Thank you for joining us. Just quickly, tonight we're going to be going over some bits and pieces to do with ESL, their pro league, their plans for 2020. Bring Apex on later, going to be talking to him about all things Counter-Strike, checking in with Ice the first week of Blast, all that good stuff. But as usual, we've got the regulars here. Prof, my question to you this week uh, is, what is the key to happiness? If I knew, I'd, I'd tell you. Okay, great. That was fantastic. Striker, do you believe in true love? Uh, I haven't found it, so no. Okay, Lucas, smooth or crunchy peanut butter? Uh, can I select Obviously none? Smooth. None? Okay, great. You don't like peanut butter at all. That's fantastic. Now, as everyone can see, Carmack is here. Uh, Mihao, first Hello. of all, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm a little bit uh, nauseous from an allergy shot, but hopefully it's not going to affect the, my performance. Okay. Yeah, no, I have that worry every night. Uh, but look, uh, first, we're going to get stuck into this straight away because we've only got an hour with you. You've got some very important Blood Bowl games to be playing this evening. So look, we understand that. We respect that. And we're very appreciative of you being here with us. Uh, so we'll kick this one off straight away. And we've got you here because obviously a lot of stuff in the news recently with ESO, B-Side, obviously Blast, all these different leagues. Before we get stuck into that, and I'm going to be handing that stuff over towards Striker because uh, I am going to be involved with Pro League. So obviously, I don't want to be sitting here asking all those questions from a biased position. Um, but first of all, can you kind of introduce yourself to maybe the viewers who aren't familiar with you and your, your history just a little bit for, uh, for everyone at home? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, where do I begin? I, I, I was an Unreal Tournament player back in the old ages where half of the HLTV forums were, were in nappies, which is around 2000, uh, 2001. Um, a couple of years later, I became an eSports journalist. Uh, for a long time, I, I was an eSports journalist, and my work was kind of my, let's say, job interview to ESL. And uh, in 2009, I joined ESL, uh, and I was given control of the Intel Extreme Masters, um, and until recently, I was managing Intellectual Masters hands-on. Um, right now, somebody else does it and does it extremely well. And I am uh, responsible for things like, let's say, uh, leading the design of the things like ESL Pro Tour and a couple of other things for ESL. Okay, so just quickly, your, t uh, your title is, uh, is VP of... Uh Pro gaming, right? Is yep. that correct? Okay, yep. so that's that's the title right there that you've got to your name. Now I'm going to hand this over to Striker, who I know has been writing up pages and pages of notes to ask questions. So Striker, you want to take this one away? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess we should preface this with with what we know about EPL, right, and what what has been announced already, which is that um, it has been cut down from 48 teams to used to be, you know, four um, like regular season in regions in Americas, Europe, Asia, and Oceania. Um, that has been cut down to 24 teams total with all the regions combined into one. Um, each season will last something like six weeks. I'm pretty sure that has been announced officially too. Um, teams split into four round robin groups leading into playoffs. And then the top six stage onwards is basically going to look the same as we have seen it so far in at the, like, the playoffs of the finals, basically. Oh, we so get just there to, a little bit differently. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. But I mean, when you reach the top six stage, that's, that's where it's going to be a little bit more, I guess, Correct. what we've seen so far, right? Correct, correct. I mean, just, just to uh, give the detail a little bit different because we get from 16 to 6 a little bit differently from, than from 24 to 6. Yep. Where if you, basically if you win your group, uh, you're going to play in the play-ins. 
so group winners, depending on the results of the play-ins, it's just a single match against another group winner. You either go straight to the semis or you get to the quarters, basically. Um, whereas seconds and thirds are playing to get to the quarters. Okay. I hope I visualized it correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm I mean, I, the thing is, like, I know what it is, so I, I understand it. Hopefully, the viewers do too, um, from what you just said. But I mean, technically, it's like a playoffs with like a, a pre stage where, where the teams that already made it to like the top 12. Is that yeah. the top 12? Top 12, yeah. Basically, play I, each other before. I mean, what, what is, I guess, most important for viewers to understand? It's not like Pro League now, like the Pro League finals are a separate tournament, like kind of was before, where the group stage was kind of like a qualifier and then at the actual LAN event everything got reset and then you more or less used kind of just like everyone was on the same level. Now, depending on how you qualify, you go into a different different part of the of the bracket. Well, part, part of the idea I would say is uh, Pro League practically, when you, when you had that Pro League week or weekend, uh, felt exactly like an ESL1 or like an IEM tournament. Uh, 16 teams, two, two double elimination groups of eight, and it didn't feel any different. Uh, and uh, stages before that, they kind of felt like a glorified qualifier to some degree. So part of the idea was to create like a, a tournament that has a different feeling and a different flavor to it. Yeah, I mean, that's basically like leading into the first question that I had because behind basically the changes that have been implemented, right? Obviously, like that's 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 a part of it. So. Yeah, what was the vision and why why did why were the changes really necessary to to this like that drastic degree really? Well, a couple of things. First of all, you want to make it a uh there there are two kind of degrees to it. One is the business angle, the other one is the sporting angle. From a sporting angle, you want to have the most sexy tournament you can possibly have. Um, and having, let's say, a North American division, no disrespect to anyone, is less interesting by nature than a European division. So uh, there was uh, basically an intent from everyone to have a global division. So the moment we land at 24, we don't have divisions split into regions or anything like that, but the best teams in the world um, with a little bit of uh, regional diversity play from, you know, from the first game on rather than you know, we have to go through the, let's say, the relatively, compar by comparison, less interesting regional divisions, and then we go to the top 16, which is uh, the playoffs. Second, if we're creating a league which has, which is supposed to produce business value for the tournament organizer and some degree of guaranteed business value for teams, obviously it's better for them to to also start in a, in a narrow, narrow field at the main event level. Uh, which is also a consideration. And if you look at, uh, you know, uh, B-Side, for example, they have 10 teams. Uh, I believe it's rumored 10 teams and, and another two qualified. I haven't been really for paying attention. Please correct me. Yeah, yeah, that's me. right, though. That's right. Um, so, so that is clearly designed to, to, to give very guaranteed levels of exposure to, to all the teams, uh, presumably because they're buying in. Um, and want to have a return on their investment in, in also in uh, airtime value. So it's basically the, the narrower it is, the more airtime value you, you are able to guarantee to your partner teams or member teams. Mm -hmm. I mean, it almost sounds to me like it's kind of a response to what, to what B-Side is doing from, from, from what you're saying. Can you say that if that's the case, really? 
I mean, the, the, the way it all originated, uh, I think, and I don't remember, ha, ha, sorry, I have no knowledge of who approached whom in the beginning, but the PEA kind of woke up from its winter slumber and, 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 and there was conversations between the PEA and, um, and ESL again. Um, and uh, for, for, uh, for quite a long time, um, the North American teams that are now behind B-Site were in conversation with ESL. Um, and then as far as I understand it, I wasn't in the business conversations at all. I was m more on the design side rather than on the business conversation side. But as far as I understand it, at some point it became clear that um, there would not be an agreement reached uh, between some teams and ESL and they split up and decided to start doing their own thing. Um, so, so actually I wouldn't say it, it, it was a response probably to teams who, um, have found that they enjoy the franchise model in the North American and now European also franchise leagues from, from other games and decided to try it. The reason they really like it is because uh, the moment they sign up for a league like that, um, that increases the attractiveness of, of uh, that company for prospective uh, prospective uh, investors. So let's say my team is valued at a hundred percent, a hundred million dollars, and we argue that you know signing up for a permanent Counter Strike League spot is increasing my company by uh, my company value by five percent. I just made five million dollars right there. I mean, it's not as simple as that, but just sure. to simplify it a little bit. Uh, the company value is now 105 million with you know with one signature, um, and, and this is something that currently the, the teams seem to be craving, along, uh, 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 among many other things like you know uh, revenue, profit sharing, and things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the financial side is, is definitely something that it's that has been a really hot topic, just because of that's kind of being repeated as as the reason for B side emerging, you know, creating a, like a new reven revenue share model, and generally people have been saying that the tournament organizers are bleeding money. So can you speak to the business side a little bit as well and like give some examples so that people realize what kind of caused going to organizing a, a big arena event like a, like an ESL one club? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's relatively clear to me that, you know, lots of people commenting, uh, no disrespect to anyone, but are very, very distant from, from the truth in what they imagine to be true. Uh, it's, it's quite easy to see in, let's say, in conversation about booths, for example, right? Uh, you know, you have a problem, why don't you just buy booths? Well, <laughs> uh, this proper, actual proper good soundproof booths at the international level in Dota, uh, those cost, I think, around uh, seven to $800,000 for a pair. That's what we're talking about. If you make them a little bit cheaper, let's assume you, you can get a pair, let's say, for $300,000 uh, because you constructed it. It's not as nice looking and you're constructed, blah, blah, blah. ESL runs, uh, together with DreamHack, about a 10 to 12 Counter-Strike tournaments a year. So automatically you have to create multiples of those. And considering how much they travel, get assembled, disassembled and damaged, uh, you need to probably also have backups. Back so suddenly, 
because uh, someone on Reddit thinks this is the right way to fix a problem. And we are, you know, $1.2 million in the hole. Um, and the problem really isn't fully fixed either, uh, which, which is something maybe for a, for a different uh, conversation. So uh, people just generally seem to think, well, why don't you throw a million bucks at the problem and that will be solved? Well, truth is not, not a lot of uh, millions. I'm not sitting on a lot of millions just to, just to throw at problems. Uh, some events... Uh, make money. Some events don't make money. Uh, some events that we run in, uh, you know, less expensive territories, they have lower rates, you know, for venue rental. Sometimes we don't pay rental. Sometimes we get support from the city like we do in Katowice. Uh, other times uh, we go to places like, like New York City, which is uh, let's say the marketing and business hub of the world, or at least the Western world. And you, you're going to Barclays uh, Center, um, where you're competing uh, for the weekends to rent out with, you know, Taylor Swift, the sports franchises, N NBA, etc., etc. Et uh, so it's not like you're gonna, you know, say, "Hey, hi, I'm ESL. Take any weekend you want, my friends. No problem, right?" So you just have to pay the standard rate, and and you go in, and it's way, way more more expensive next to paying the union labor if if. Uh, those of you who don't know what that is, that basically means in, in the US, uh, if you rent out a, a venue, usually there's a union that is exclusive to that venue and you have to purchase work from them. You can't bring in your own people to build the stage and everything. It's actually the union that provides them and, and it's extremely expensive compared to Europe. So some events make uh, less money, some events make more money. Um, uh, some of them are straight in the red. Some of them are a, a little bit in the green. Uh, and, but we do them for different reasons. Some of them are just, just straight up great events. Some of them are um, important because they're important to our sponsors as well. So yeah. I, can't, you know, I can't really divulge uh, very much in terms, of, um, in terms of how much everything costs and things like that, I think for obvious reasons. But uh, there's, there's, there's another thing that's being repeated quite often when it comes to money with esports, and that is that running an online league or a league in general is, is very inexpensive. Yes, theoretically, yes. Um, even though if you, if you think about it, you produce a, a large number of those, uh, let's call them regular season matches, and then the event at the end, is, is, it's the same cost as you know, ESL 1 Cologne or Intel Extreme Masters Katowice or ESL 1 New York. So, so automatically, it is more expensive than a single uh, ESL one. And the truth is, just like with the Katowice major, we're actually not, pay, not getting paid by our sponsors all that much more. For some reason, sponsors are much more interested in that cherry on top of the cake rather than the, the, the entire cake. So, so the rate that you actually pay for the online regular season isn't... Um, proportionate to what you would be uh, charging a sponsor for okay. uh, for for your weekend days, you know, in, in 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 the arena in front of a big audience. I think just still that tangible thing that you can show up to it, you can touch it, you can uh, you know, you can hear, you can feel the roar of the crowd. That's what actually brings in the money. Um, when we when we upgraded Katowice from uh, your regular Intel Extreme Masters finals to 
the major, we actually didn't get any extra money from our sponsors for uh, for the minors or the uh, challenger stage or any extra days actually for the upgrade. We didn't get paid for that. It just doesn't work like this um, in in when you sell sponsorships. So um, that. Just, just. I mean, if you guys have more specific questions, I'm happy to answer those. But uh, uh, there's a little bit of, you know, mis- misinformation. Like, oh, you get a major, you're going to be so rich. No, it doesn't really work like that. We actually pulled off a really good major, I think, because we had pre-existing sponsorship agreements that we, where we knew, okay, we, we can build this stage, we can afford this, and we don't have to worry and scramble and try to sell. No, no, I mean, that was just, uh, I asked this mainly to kind of clarify on like the tournament stance, tournament organizer stance on, on the costs of tournaments, because obviously, like you say, there's been a lot of things, you know, kind of assumed that that aren't necessarily true. So unless the other two guys have, have something more specific to ask. I, I want to, uh, like, this is a question that I don't quite understand. And we asked um, similar when we had him on the last time around, the, in terms of not like financials, like the sponsorships and all that stuff coming through to fund the events, the big conversation is Counter-Strike isn't profitable, right? What is the way that ESL envision making it profitable? Because this is the problem that like everybody seems to be bringing up at the moment is how do we make money out of this thing? Is, is there like a vision that ESL have to, to make this a possibility? Because obviously <laughs> that everybody doesn't align on the way they see this. That's why there's been this split. I would say there's, there's multiple things. If you, if, you, if you look at the standard breakdown of, of a sports business, uh, a ton of it is media rights. Um, the, the key difference, like a, a huge chunk of it is media rights. Maybe I'll speak to media rights in, in a little bit. Uh, maybe I'll talk about sponsorship first, but that's going to be easier. For us, to with, with our uh, partners, with our sponsors, um, what's interesting to the world's biggest brands is, is, is a big package. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a Mercedes, if you're an Intel, you're not interested in, you know, scouting the tiniest, uh, you know, the tiniest tournament and going to event A, event B, event C, event D, event E, just because they're individually and if you collect them together, they're a set of the most attractive ones. You're just basically looking, okay, are we interested in the average CS fan? Yes. Okay. What's the one thing we can get for CS that's going to tick all all our checkboxes? That's basically how those companies operate. So what you're trying to create in order to uh, attract the world's biggest brands. I mean, we, we work right now with Pepsi, we work with Intel, we work with Vodafone, we work with Mercedes, uh, DHL. Um, those brands we were able to attract because we provided them that critical mass of or, and that comfort of, you know, they go in, they do one deal with one partner and everything is taken care of for the entire year. Um, that, that solves a lot of, you know, uh, tiny, small-scale problems for them. So this is uh, one of the reasons we've actually created uh, the ESL Pro Tour. Uh, next to next to that, it actually made sense from a sporting point of view for us, a narrative point of view. Also, be, be, making it into a um, what's the proper word in English? Uh, Chad amalgam, I think. Well. Amalgamation. Amalgamation, yeah. Amalgamation of all, all our properties, actually. If you look at esportscharts.com, uh, I think all the properties that now make up the ESL Pro Tour uh, produce more streaming hours than uh, LEC and LCS put together. So that's a big thing where you can go, and, and this is something I said on the Richard Lewis 
um, by the numbers is that actually we don't see ourselves as being in the race with uh, that esports tournament for Counter Strike that is sponsored by you know esports pillows and and a small esports <laughs> you know esports skin company or whatever. We we don't really care, and we're not even interested in uh you know in in them not existing because we're actually competing uh for for sponsors on a on a much broader um orbit that that are, are on a much broader orbit um so yeah we we created the ESL pro tour in order to create that that package that's alive for 365 days per year and that you you know you sign uh, one contract and 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 you're set, and this is from our experience. This is what we've noticed really uh, makes the big brands interested. Um, now, when it comes to media rights, there's it, there's a bit of a peculiarity in in all of this uh, because it's a little bit different from um, it's a little bit different from sports where if you if you run the British. Uh, you know, a, a British tournament or English Premier League, you're the only provider of that of the Premier League, and you don't have to contend with anybody for that. You've organized it; the teams are a part of it, and now you can sell exclusive rights to BT Sports and Sky Sports and make billions of dollars. Actually, whereas in esports, when you try to sell broadcast rights, um, there is a cap on it because. Um, Assuming, even assuming you're the only one running um, Counter-Strike, still, I can't imagine, or any other game, I can't imagine a publisher selling those rights exclusively to a platform that would then charge the user. The publisher actually benefits for, uh, from that content being f available completely for free, right? So no publisher in their right mind, not even Riot Games, who probably had plenty of exclusive and paywalled content opportunities, they're not going to paywall their esports content because their esports content generates activity in their game engagement and they make millions of dollars off of that. So no publisher in esports will, um, will allow you essentially to paywall the content where uh, a lot of that traditional revenue stream is isn't there, that you don't have the potential. So you're essentially selling not to um, exclusive platforms. Uh, if Even if you have, let's say, a monopoly, uh, that monopoly isn't worth much because uh, you're selling to open platforms. You're not monetizing that very, very well if it's in the open platform because it's not easy to monetize it uh, very, very well. And then we go into things like buyer's market and seller's market where um, if if you're a streaming platform and you can get great Counter-Strike content where, you know, Astralis plays from three different places, um, the price of, of Astralis playing somewhere isn't going to be very high naturally. Um, therefore, the creation of a, of a uh, league that lasts a certain uh, amount of time, be it ESL Pro League or any other league, um, and is guaranteed to be uninterrupted by anything. It's a, it's a you know, f four, five, six week long story, and you know that the world is watching just that, that becomes valuable. And that's how ESL Pro League now becomes valuable because for that period that it runs, if you want to see Astralis, you know that's the only place you will get it. Um, this is where the value goes up and this is where we potentially are able to generate more revenue from a streaming platform 
Um, so that's the plan, basically. Uh, long story short, I skipped a couple of nuances, but that's kind of the plan for uh, sponsorship and for uh, and for media rights. Yeah. So just tagging on to what you said there about like having a, a team for an extended period of time is where the revenue is generated. So then ideally the value, that the value, the value, the value, right? Uh, uh, so ideally then you, you'd have it for, have a team just for yourself for, for a whole year, right? That, that would be the ideal scenario for you. Um, you know what? That's not a realistic real world scenario. Uh, we can discuss it, but, uh, anything, everything Valve has done, uh, in Counter-Strike points to the fact that they are looking to have multiple parties running tournaments and they are not interested in seeing uh, a team committed to just a single party. So that's just not happening. Uh, regardless of whether you ther theoretically want it or not, it's just not going to happen until Valve changed, shift their entire philosophy with which they approached uh, CSGO from the very beginning. Um, if to answer your question, I think if we, if we had a complete monopoly on the best teams in the world and we're able to craft our tournament structure any way we please, we would probably be, uh, compared to today in relative terms, bathing in money, but that's a purely theoretical discussion. Okay. I mean, so let's let's get down to, to some of the issues that this that the changes have created. And uh, first of all, if you can, let's put a timeline on this. So when when were these changes finalized? When was this decision made that it was going to be cut down to half, you know? Oh, so the timeline is actually quite complicated because it was uh, a, a long back and forth. Um, um, but I'll, I'm just going to come clean and say when the bottom line is we've known for much too long that there would be 24 and not 48 teams uh, to, to really have a, a, a proper excuse to, uh, with respect to how we communicated to the teams that were part of the reduction. Uh, the difficulty there was that... Um, because until very, very late, um, we didn't know exactly what the teams would be that would um, become a part of the Pro League from a business point of view. We didn't know exactly the list of the teams that would be a part of the reduction. We didn't know the manner in what we would complete the list of 24 teams. And that is... Uh, that is what made us, you know, keep our mouth shut, so to speak. Um, because if we had told a number of teams, hey, guys, there's going to be a reduction in Pro League, but we can't say which teams are uh, cut, we, we didn't give them actually any, any information that is very meaningful to them. Because what they actually want to know from that point is, okay, am I being cut? What are my chances and things like that? So it generates a big load of chaos uh, that doesn't really help anyone. That's what we thought at the time. In hindsight, with with you know with uh, uh, looking at at everything, it became quite clear that we should have done something 
differently and and given it given teams a heads up but um that's just that is just the regrettable situation that we have to that we have to live with i'm just providing an explanation that doesn't make anything that we did uh much much better or much excuse much more excusable um i think i think we i think everybody involved regrets the way it went down but uh it did so right so can i just ask like was this uh obviously like last year end of last year somewhere you announced the pro tour and kind of the changes to all of that so that seemed fairly planned out and laid out in advance while the pro league changes kind of came last last minute so to say because as you said it was a kind of a lot of back and forth was the was the whole um b-side league coming in was that something that pushed you to do this a bit earlier than you wanted was this always planned this change was the pro league change always planned for like this season right now or kind of how did that develop um hmm. an interesting question i don't know the answer properly uh it's possible that maybe we would have applied the changes um you know without without the competitive aspect to it maybe we would have we would have applied the changes for season uh 12 2020 maybe not it would depend on how the conversations would progress um certainly b side being there uh did put some kind of you know time pressure to uh to get those agreements in place so that we would know what that league looks like um one one of the things also to uh to look at with with the timelines uh, are also the timelines to qualify uh for or, or sign up for mdl right season 33 um the reason we actually uh that fated friday the reason we announced uh the lineup of the teams we would be inviting to ESL Pro League was to make it very clear who is um, going to be part of the reduction, who is, you know, potentially needing to think about signing up for Mountain Dew League instead. Um, that was what kind of pushed the timing, and that was what kind of forced us uh, to to announce the list of teams on on Friday. I mean, I heard a fairly preposterous. Uh, ideas uh, where you know that leaked Instagram post that we just put it in just to see just to see what Reddit's reaction would be and then double down on it. No, I mean if you look at it, the Fanatic logo is is, is the wrong Fanatic logo there, and that's one of the reasons it was uh, taken down. The follow-up actually had the right Fanatic logo, but you know if you if you're if if you have a uh, if you have a hammer in your hand, hand you'll see nails everywhere, I suppose. <laughs> okay. Can I just ask yeah. you to move the microphone a bit away because I think you're oh, popping sorry. because of it. I think yeah, when not... you when you like speak up a little bit, it just like pops sometimes. So. Okay. Hopefully, this is better. So yeah. I yeah, think well, yeah. what we well like that that point you're just talking about there, Carmack, to do with that graphic uh, as a whole, and you were talking about that they were the teams that you had invited to let the other teams know that they weren't going to be involved in this situation. I think a lot of people like obviously there was a lot of speculation. We spoke about different angles on on this show, uh, coming across that like it was a a political type move to either like force the hand of these teams, but at the same time it was publicly known that. They were having meetings I mean, uh, uh, with with ESL at the same time. Was this like that was I run past them? 
let me put it this way. If you believe, if you believe um, the, the articles from DK that there is a meeting with the following teams in Paris and the meeting is taking place until Friday and, and ESL is sitting there busy talking to those teams and then ESL with absolutely zero heads up to those teams uh, puts the logos out there to put more pressure on them. I mean, does that any of that add up to you? Like it, if any of those teams were was not really in line with that, um, it's probably like leaving a, a ball in in the open goal just to score a fucking goal on your on us. It's 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 actually a fairly illogical uh, suggestion because again, if we're in the room with a set of people. Uh, and they're supposed to become our serious partners. If you believe that, that that's part of the negotiation, what is really so bizarre? I mean, how would you think that a couple of hours after the meeting takes place, we would be posting a list of invited teams to put more pressure on them? It's just, it just seems. I don't understand how how uh... I can I can try and give you like some understanding of maybe why people view it in that sense because normally when these things happen the term invited like it, it's not in, that's that's not there it's like these are the teams attending our event right so I think that the term invited threw a lot of people for a spin because we did have the whole conversation going on at the time who's going to B site who's going to pro league and then when that came out and the term invited is there people are like oh shit is this ESO trying to like force the hand there what you're saying right and obviously I mentioned the start of this I was very transparent about it I will be working with ESL for pro league so I'm obviously biased and my I, I see it from that perspective of why would they do that it doesn't make any sense you cutting off your nose to spite your face in that regard but from no. the sense of the way it was worded, I can see why people may have had some inkling in that direction, or at least been confused. So one of the one of the things is uh, that we actually gave the teams that were uh, that were top sixteen in pro league the previous season, uh, but not members, not prospective members, um, a deadline for Thursday night to. Uh, respond as to whether or not they would play. So Made in Brazil, uh, for example, Cloud9 said uh, they wouldn't or didn't respond. Um, and there were teams whose response we didn't, in fact, uh, get by then, which we did get later on, that we invited based on the ESL world ranking to replace Cloud9 and Made in Brazil. Those are the ones that we we didn't, we literally didn't know if they would uh, say yes or no. Um, but the other teams, come on. So, I mean, let's, let's get into like how these teams were determined then, because you kind of, obviously we've been alluding to these, to these like business meetings that you've had with, uh, uh, with teams and, um, and like generally what status some of the teams will have in the, in the league, you know, being member teams basically. So can you speak to that mechanic and, and, uh, and how, these organizations who will form like more long-term membership will be, um, well, will they have in, in pro league and even the rest of the ESL pro tour circuit? I think to, to, to fully understand what's coming in pro league in 2020, you actually, we, we actually have to start with, uh, we shouldn't necessarily think of it as a league the way we think of, you know, the Bundesliga or the premier league. 
um, where you've got you know the last two teams drop out and and goodbye, and then two teams from the from a, a gateway league come up. Um, there's technically uh, going forward not supposed to be any relegation uh, whatsoever. There's, there's there's as much relegation in pro league as there is in ESL one Cologne or Intel Extreme Masters Katowice. In that, if you if you finish, I don't know, twelfth. Uh, well, good luck. You can requalify next time, just like everybody else. Um, that's 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 how we uh, that's how we approach it, and we can go into how you can qualify down the line. It's no problem. Um, but the teams that are uh, that are partner teams of the league, they will receive an invitation to start every every season. Um, I believe, unless they are. Uh, underperforming quite badly uh, over a, uh, over a longer period of time those teams will also enjoy um having a revenue share as well as um a profit sharing um and on top of this this is a separate bucket uh, which may not be uh, very well understood understood these teams will also have a number of invitations to ESL Pro Tour events like ESL One uh, and Intel Extreme Masters. Um, and if they attend enough of those events, essentially they will also receive a revenue and profit share um, from those tournaments. And frankly speaking, I don't understand what's so terribly controversial about that point, that the whole declines point because they can decline as many tournaments as they want um if they have a better opportunity to play in a you know 10 million dollar event somewhere in uh, china or saudi arabia or wherever they can go and do that um but by uh, not showing up to a, a, a big enough number of esl pro tour events they're just giving up a revenue and profit share from uh, those ESL from the ESL Pro Tour circuit events as opposed to ESL Pro League. Uh, I honestly don't know what's so preposterous about that. Well, so hold on, let me uh, just explain what I got from this, right? So basically, Pro League from now on will just be member teams from the start, and then the rest will essentially requalify every season? More or less, yes. I mean, for season 12, uh, we've changed the qualification structure compared to the plans to um, essentially remedy some of the some of the stuff that the yeah. reduction caused. So each team that was part of the reduction can now requalify through either the Mountain Dew League uh, Global Challenge or uh, a qualifier that's made specifically for the teams affected by the reduction uh, in that specific region. So. Uh, let's say you're, uh, you're a European team, you can play in the European Mountain Dew League and then compete in um, the Mountain Dew League Global Challenge for one of the top three slots. And that guarantees you participation in the ESL Pro League. Or you can play in the uh, European Qualifier for all the affected teams, including the Mountain Dew League teams that were supposed to be part of the relegation uh, tournament. Um down the line, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, the ESL World Ranking will be uh, will be uh, the best avenue, so that at any given time, it's not going to be the teams that were great in the previous season because maybe they were great at the time, 
and and over six months a lot a lot happened now we're actually gonna uh, we're, we're actually going to be inviting uh, mainly through the ESL world ranking to have a lot of those teams that are currently very very good so that competition is is uh, major like if you will okay so if um, I mean I guess that answers um, the like the worries I about have a, I have a sub okay. question then so for the members team they obviously stay in in the league you mentioned that there could there is some sort of like if they are underperforming they can be like thrown out of the league I guess but those details are not clear at the moment or how does that work because well, BSAC has their rule set with like $100,000 stuff like that um well the over there the way we have it is that uh, this the decision making process. so first of all the list of teams is is not closed it's not locked in forever so Chad starts a team and gets a fantastic roster and they uh, wreck everybody and uh, they're doing a great job in every single aspect they may very well be voted in uh, to become a uh, a member team uh, but then after sometimes they they could also be voted out if they don't meet performance criteria essentially um, just a just a touch on that because I read the the leak of the Lanxess agreement and then it said that if you add in a new team they have to do like a buy-in of some sort which then gets distributed to the other teams is that something that's also confirmed as of now Honestly I don't remember as okay. I've mentioned before on the call I was more on the design side from a sporting perspective product perspective rather than the business side so I'm sorry I'm not unable to answer this question I mean, can we uh, at least get an idea of how many teams uh, are going to be member teams? How many spots there will be to? Because the reports say like up to 16, some said like at least 13. And, you know, it's kind of confusing the information we've had uh, regarding this. So you, yeah. should, you should expect around 13 teams okay. uh, to be to be uh, partner teams for 2020. Okay. Uh, I mean, okay. yeah. so my 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 next question was to ask about these. Uh, so the teams that are not member teams, obviously, like being in a league, as you mentioned before, with the B side thing, is it's not just about being and competing there, but for the value it brings to an org. Because if you're a part of the team, then you most likely are going to stay in the league and stuff like that. But it, it, the way you put it here, with uh, only the member teams being reinvited and then everyone else having to requalify, it seems like the worth of having a pro league team isn't that big for the non-member teams, right? That's how it play, plays out. Uh, hold, hold on, can you please rephrase? Well, basically okay. what, the, what he's implying is that the incentive to play in a pro league is basically the same as the incentive to play in like an ESL one Cologne or any other tournament that is that uh, any other tournament of a similar stature, right? There's if you're, no, if like, you're not a member team. Yeah, yeah, of course, as a non-member team. Well, I mean, the prize money, uh, there's obviously prize money and all the factors that you, that you take in. Um, yeah, I suppose that's fair to say, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess a follow-up to that would be, is there like room for member teams in the future to increase in number, right? So you said potentially 13 now. In the future, does that number change? Like, does it go up? Are there more teams who are able to qualify for that kind of status? Uh, right, now, uh, right now, the thinking is that 16 is the cap. But uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe down the line. I know it's three years down the line. Maybe the team, the number of teams overall in the league is fifty, because CS is growing or whatever. 
Uh, maybe not. Maybe it stays uh, flat for the next three years, four years, five years, six, ten years. I don't know. Uh, but for the foreseeable future, uh, 16 is the cap. And do you know for how long those deals have been made? How, many, how long do these member teams basically um, have the deal for? Uh, that's, a, that's a question I'm afraid I'm going to have to skip. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think if, if there's something we missed regarding the I guess, I guess we have to talk about the, about the ESL ranking because oh, yeah, you said that that is the, <laughs> I see the, the smile. But uh, the main point is uh, about that being the main avenue into Pro League that you touched on because that is going to be, I mean, it already is where you based your invites on. Mm -hmm. So the, one of the things we discussed on the show before is that potentially being a member team and then having the invites to Pro Tour gets you more spots in these big events and then by default you get more points moving forward so let's say let's let's just give an example let's say g2 let's say g2 realistically they're a top 15 team or top maybe they're like bottom top 20 who knows not i'm not saying they are right now just like let's imagine but they're a member team so they get invited to esl cologne they get invited to a couple of these iems and then even if they finish like 15 16 or they get one one win they're going to be earning like more points than if you win two DreamHack Opens, right? So they'll, uh, by default, kind of self-propagate themselves in the ranking. That, yeah. That's how it feels. So what is your take on this? I, I, I would generally say that the self-fulfilling prophecy of the high ranking applies whether or not you use the ESL World Ranking or the HLTV Ranking, which a lot of the tournament organizers use. Because it's, uh, you know, if, if you get invited uh, to any event based on the fact that you're ranked highly somewhere, and more often than not, the rankings are quite similar in the top, let's say, 12, like relatively similar to each other in terms of the results but, that they but, pretend but my to produce. But my kind of question, just to point it more directly, is... Uh, I, not I know, all I know your question. It's about the, about the member teams getting an invite. Not It doesn't matter which their rank is, right? Um, yeah. Uh, however, if you get invited to any other tournament or perform in, in any other tournament, you're still going to be high up in the ESL world ranking and you're still going to be able to get those invites consistently uh, and win points consistently. Um, so I would say, I think, yes, there would be a small advantage for the member teams based on those, uh, based on those invites. But um, I don't think that uh, in general, the ESL Pro Tour is... It's constructed in a way where if you're a top team, if you're a really strong team, you will break through. Um, anybody that knows me well for, for a long time, uh, the, uh, the fact that you can qualify from the national championship, let's say in Germany, directly to a DreamHack Open. If you win it, you're guaranteed to go to a DreamHack Open. If you win a DreamHack Open, you are guaranteed to go to the next Masters level event uh, and potentially go there. Instead of hoping to play, you know, three DreamHack Opens to maybe get a ranking high enough that you get on the fringes of an invite list to some uh, to some tournament, uh, that process now, if you're really good, if you're undeniably good, it's direct. You go through. Uh, that is something I'm a big proponent of. Um, the qualification for the championship events, which is Cologne and Katowice in the ESL Pro Tour, is um, that if you're top eight in the ESL Pro Tour, which is specifically ESL Pro Tour events, 
If you're top eight in that ranking, you get qualified directly. If you're nine to 16, you're qualified for the play-in. And the rest of it is actually for top teams that were not necessarily part of the ESL Pro Tour. So maybe you only played majors. Oh, actually, we count major points, but... Uh, maybe you only played uh, Blast and B-Site and Epicenter and Starladder and everything, and you did extremely well and your ranking is very, very high, um, uh, you're still going to be invited to the play-in for Cologne and for Katowice based on that. So it's all designed in a way where if you're good, you will break through. It's going to be uh, maybe at times uh, mildly inconvenient, but nothing nothing insurmountable it's not completely firewalled or anything like that not in my uh, estimation at least uh, i mean with time being kind of scarce we're kind of approaching like the end of the first hour so we kind of wanted to get into also what valve came up with recently you know with the, with the introduction of the major ranking events uh, which is obviously an important topic for every to at this moment because obviously it gives them the opportunity to suggest a major ranking event to to Valve. So yeah, um, what's your stance on on what Valve have come out with earlier uh, and how it affects you guys and the schedule in 2020 that is already in place? So I'm gonna have to guess part of what you said because I was lagging terribly okay, for the I first guess. half of for the first half of what you said. Uh, but I take it it's the it's the uh, Valve's plans to run yep. to run a ranking to qualify. Uh, for the major for for the legends i think that is uh, you know six months is a very long time in counter-strike uh, a lot of things can happen and you know you might have a, a fantastic two weeks or three weeks at the major and uh, you go to your next event and you know, you're actually not really that good and we've had a couple of majors like that where this did happen so it is it is certainly a, a better in my estimation it's a much better manner of picking the top eight teams it happens to be very very similar to what we designed actually in the esl pro tour which which i think will be uh if i'm speaking honestly i think it's going to be a little bit confusing for for certain fans if there are two similar ways to qualify uh for you know uh for, for the top events in the in the cs calendar um i think uh, I can tell you right now, we would like to be considered for those events that uh, determine the legends. Um, so ESL would like to run those events. We generally very much enjoy collaborating, working with uh, working with Valve on on majors and and um, other other things. Uh, so most likely, if there is a tournament that has that is a points giving tournament by ESL. That's a points giving tournament for the legend status. It's also going to going to be a points giving tournament for uh, the ESL Pro Tour, and they will coexist. It might be a little bit confusing to people, but uh, when has CS not been confusing? Right. I think. I mean, can, yeah. can I ask a clarifying question? Does that mean that Cologne can be one of these tournaments or not? Yeah, that's what um, I was going to ask. When I remember, actually not can, but are you considering it? Right. Uh, not currently, no. That's what I was. That's what I was assuming. Just because yeah, the restrictions, obviously the right? problem is a restriction with ESL Pro, uh, Pro Tour. I'm sorry, versus what Valve's requirements are. Right. I uh, well, so that's the main problem. Well, I mean, we're going to be sending an email and, and proposing two uh, events to Valve. 
Okay. Which ones I'm not going to say, uh, not allowed to say, but uh, two events and uh, neither of them is ESO one Cologne. Okay. I mean, is it possible that the timing that uh, that Valve came out with is going to affect the leagues or, or any other stuff that you have scheduled for that portion, which is, uh, I think the portion is July, July to end of September, right? And we assume that the second round or the second season of the, of the leagues will happen somewhere in that in that span. Not that I, the answer is not that I am aware. However, I might I may be a little bit unaware of certain things, but not that I'm aware. Okay, because like obviously, if if, if the leagues happen for like six weeks straight, that prevents the teams from you know traveling around for for a major ranking event. So that's why I'm asking if if this could become a become an issue because the time timings seem to work this way. So I have another question, obviously one of the most asked questions, not maybe not low-key most asked questions, is like, is IM Sydney going to come back or an, another event in Australia? I'm wearing my Chiefs jacket here, so shout out to all of the Aussies down there, <laughs> been there three times. So is it going to happen again? Do you have plans to return? I love Australia, that's all I can say. <laughs> okay. Me too. That's pretty cool. We all like Australia. Uh, Mihao, we've got you for a couple more minutes before we, we have to let you go. Uh, obviously, you guys have the first major of this year. I don't know if you had too much more to ask, Striker, but I just figured we may as well no, close no, out on, to, a, on a fun note. I transition into that too, so go yeah. for it. Is there anything that you can maybe get all the fans excited with uh, about uh, ESL1 you know, coming up for the, for the, for the major? So, um, I don't know to what degree that, that is exciting. But, yeah, op op uh, open question. But uh, Sean and I will be working the, the tournament. It's actually going to be the first ESL one ever that I'm working on directly uh, managing and Sean as well, Sean Clark. If you don't know who he is, he's a, a former World Cyber Games champion in Command and Conquer and a very well-known former StarCraft II commentator. Now he runs Intel Extreme Masters. He's uh, much more capable than I ever was at doing it. So. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're going to be running the event. Um, we will be, we will be applying, uh, basically, I mean, whatever you remember from the Intel Extreme Masters Katowice experience in terms of communication, tournament system, uh, the way we approach it, we will be applying very much a similar, a similar approach. Um, we will be applying also the seeding system. I've never told anyone kind of out in the public, but we'll be applying the same seeding system as we did in Katowice, where the teams rate each other um, with the one suggestion from Valve, which is, by the way, a very intelligent suggestion that after the challenger stage, if there is a ranking of those teams that make it from one to eight, um, the teams that then uh, seed each other for the legend stage, you're not allowed to break the order in which the results came in from one to eight for uh, the challenger team. So, for example, if let's say, I don't know, uh, you can't change your mind basically, like from the first stage to second, no, no, or not, not change your mind. You have to use the actual results of the challenger stage to rate all the challenger teams respective to each other. Okay, so that makes you sense. can you can drop in a legends team in between challenger team number one and challenger team number two. Right, but you can't place challenger team number two higher than challenger team number one in your seeding. Right. Okay. Uh, because so, so in an example, like if one one team goes three zero 
and another team goes like two three you can't put that two three team above the three team correct 100 okay. correct but you can squeeze in legends in between them any way okay. you please but you're not allowed to change the order that was dictated but by, by actual performance which is very logical and actually very very fair so yeah, that makes perfect sense um, that's a great suggestion and it came from valve that's unusual. No, I, I don't want <laughs> to take credit. From my dealings with Valve, and, and take it for what it's worth, but from my dealings with Valve, they've been a very, very intelligent and, and, and creative, and, and they're also actually quite brave compared to all other publishers, actually. Um, I'm used to working with other publishers where we do projects either for them or with them. And there's usually a really great deal of reporting and ensuring the publisher, hey, look, uh, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing this, we're doing that. Typical response from Valve is, yeah, good luck, we trust you, it's fine, good luck, thanks, thanks for telling us, no problem. If we don't, I mean, if I don't email them for, for, for two, three months, uh, I'm not going to hear from them. They're just confident that we're able to uh, deliver, and that gives us a lot of freedom um and and they just just they're just brave like that that they're not they're not worried um that something's going to happen to their major i guess one thing that you can also comment on is like how fast the ticket right tickets uh, got sold because i think that's kind of gotten buried and i as far as i know it was very fast it it was actually really really mind-blowing and and you know uh, i got uh, the number of times I read Maracana uh, on Twitter on that day uh, is, is, is absolutely crazy. And you never know, right? And nobody, you know, when we announced uh, the tournament, nobody said, you know, you should go to Maracana. It's so obvious, blah, 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 blah. And then when the tickets sold out and people couldn't get them, you, know, oh, you should have gone to Maracana. It's so obvious. Yeah. And by the way, open stadiums uh, and, and generally daylight type stadiums, arenas, don't work for esports very well. I've seen that a couple of times. We've had those, uh, those yeah, attempts. Yeah, some in Ukraine or whatever, right? Our series was one yeah. of them, yeah. Well, I think if everyone's happy, we might leave it there because we have to do a little changeover now. We've got to get Carmack out. We've got to bring uh, we've got to bring Apex in. Carmack, is there anything else you want to say before uh, before we let you go? Oh, no, I'm just surprised that the C word wasn't mentioned by you, but I suppose you well, didn't get that much airtime. Like I said at the start, you know, I, I wanted to be transparent with everybody, let everyone know that I'm going to be involved in Pro League, so I didn't <coughs> want to be the one asking the questions to seem like some biased motherfucker. So I, I, took, a, I took a step back in this one right here, but uh, we, we definitely appreciate your time and uh, coming on here and giving everybody ESL's side of things. Um, I think it's very important. This is a lot of stuff that the people at home never will understand unless they get a chance to talk to you or hear from you. And that's something that I've had the privilege to do in the past. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Striker Prof, you guys got anything you want to say? That's fine. All right, thank you for coming good, luck, good luck with the major at the Pro League. Thanks very much. Thanks. And Bye. with your Blood Bowl game. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> Thanks. All right, guys. So uh, as you just heard from us there, as we're closing that one out, we will be getting Apex on any minute. Uh, the C word is cunt in case you guys missed it. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's, we've said it now, so we've got it out there. Um, look, that conversation right there, if you, uh, you know, you're, you're 16, 17, 18, and you just want to know about Counter-Strike, probably not very interesting for you. But if you, uh, you seem to be like some of these people on the internet who, who want to know everything going on behind the scenes, this is a very important conversation to have. Uh, we've obviously had Semler as a spokesperson on before, uh, from B-Site. Maybe we'll try and get somebody else from B-Site on. I saw Duncan made a tweet about uh, uh, information coming out with B-Site later next week. I think it was. Or I think later, it's, meant, uh, it's meant to be this week. 
Okay. It's yeah, no, that's right. it's from Monday. now. It's on the yeah. fifth, I think. It's Monday, so that's okay. Cool. So maybe, um, like, I'm working at Blast with Duncan. Maybe I'll have a chat with him. We'll see if we can get him on a, a, as a guest to talk more B side stuff. <laughs> okay. he, he'll That'll come on. Funny. I'll have a chat with. Him. Well, maybe he'll come on. I'll have a talk with him. We'll see if he wants to come on. Um, and then maybe as we continue this, we can get uh, team owners on. Maybe we get somebody who is going to go with the ESL Pro League side of things. Get them on to hear why they chose that over the B side. Somebody from B side, the same thing. We'll keep this going, guys, over the next couple of weeks because this is all the side of Counter Strike that. Uh, look, I've got no idea about. I just want to talk about the game. But we are getting Apex on. We're sorting that out now. Uh, Lucas, the producer, will be working that one through. Is he ready? Okay, fantastic. Yes, I am. Dan, hello. How are you going? Hello, I'm doing good. Are you? Oh, look, man, I just got off a flight, but that's that's basically normal life at this point. <laughs> How's the year started for you, mate? You having a having a bit of downtime? What's 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 life been like over the over the holiday period? Well, um, we finished the year by the good notes by winning Epicenter. So everything went well for us at this event. So we took, obviously, two weeks off uh, during the break just to get our man fresh for the new season. And there we are. Okay, so just quickly, just so the viewers who are audio only right now, we've got Apex on, obviously former major winner uh, back in the day now playing with Vitality, the number one player in the world, Mr. Zywu on his team. And they had a, had a bit of a resurgence last year. Uh, obviously, MBK getting dropped. They brought shocks in. Lots of things that happened. But we're going to dive on in here. We want to talk, I guess, all things Counter-Strike with you. So while I just was touching on 2019 and we were talking about, you know, the whole MBK situation, was that a really, really tough uh, call to make considering you and you and MBK actually had to build this team and then get back to that point of being competitive again? Was that a tough decision to make? Well, obviously, yes. Uh, MBK and me, I, I played together for four, four years, I guess, before he got removed from the team. And um, that one, that wasn't easy to, to do that. Obviously, it was the team choice and not only mine. Uh, we had like some trouble to be uh, to be agree on, on many things uh, uh, on a how to build the team and how to, to be getting better. So that's why we had to, to do something. I guess uh, he couldn't like stay more even, in, even if he, he wanted to uh, himself. I think uh, that's what he said on interview, I guess. He said that he was able to leave if uh, he didn't change uh, at the next event. So yeah, that wasn't easy for us to, to change him because uh, at least on the game, everything went pretty well. And, uh, but the rest wasn't pretty, I would say. Okay, so if you'd like look back, like you guys obviously when you finished the year, you would have sat around because you guys, uh, people obviously don't see what we get to see when we're traveling around and we get to do the interviews or we're working on the desk and stuff. We see your kind of crew and you've obviously got a, you've got a deep crew of people that look after you. I assume you guys all would have sat around and had a conversation about like reflecting on, on 2019. What was the biggest takeaway for, for you personally about that year for you and the team? Well, um, to be completely honest, I think it's uh, right before, um, I, I, would, I would pick two times because we have one before uh, the Summit win and ECS win, where we had uh, a sick bootcamp, uh, where we made a lot of progress and where we became a really good contender to win big tournaments. Um, that was the, the moment we started to play really well. And I would pick that one and also before Epicenter, when we have finally time to practice with shocks and we were able to win epicenter okay uh shocks uh, sorry striker or prof do you have anything i kind of mixed your names and then somehow the shocks <laughs> do you guys have anything about their 2019 run that you're curious about specifically i i mean uh, obviously no one's I, I i don't expect apex to say it but at the same time 
there are rumors about the actual thing that caused them, not, not the actual thing, but the latest clash uh, between like NBK and the team or someone on the team that allegedly happened at the major. Or I think after the hard legion loss or one of the losses that you had in the group stage where things really got rough, can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, the the first clash we had, I think, was uh, about Dreamhack Masters uh, Dallas, so it was uh, around May or something. And yeah, the last one was in, in at the major. I will not say when and exactly, but that's uh, when we we decided to to drop him from the team. Actually, and uh, that wasn't, as I said, that wasn't an easy decision for us. That was a pretty tough one, mainly during a big tournament like that. And even if it was like tough moment within the team, uh, we just did our job to to get this legend spot. I guess if we were, if we had a better mood in the team, I'm pretty sure we would have won against Avangar back then because we lost that one pretty, pretty sadly. Uh, I guess we were the better team overall, but on that one, we were not. So that was the most important, but yeah. Con I cannot say more, I'm sorry. Striker, you got Makes anything? Makes sense. Um, no, I think I'd like the, at least I can't think of anything now, but I'll, I'll ask okay. if I come up with something. It'll probably crop up as we're going yeah, through exactly. this. Yeah, uh, exactly. But yeah, so look, one of the things which I personally, like I love what you've been doing at the moment with uh, all your YouTube stuff, right? If people haven't been following that, you've been pushing out a lot of content. It's something which is you've clearly made as a priority uh, for yourself and your brand. Where did that kind of push come from? Was that a decision that you made um individually or did the all kind of help pushing you in that direction like what, what's the go with all that well uh, i've decided to open a youtube like um, i think a bit more than one year and a half ago uh because i felt like uh, i know a lot of things about cs uh, i'm here for a long time and i want to teach people as many things as i know uh, the best way i can and um, so that's the first thing i did and then uh, i've joined um uh, Prodigy Agency. I don't know if you you saw that. It's just the the, the agent thing, and um, they helped me a lot too, right? growing my brand on that sense uh, on my YouTube channel. Uh, all the things, uh, trying to help me to to not do much on the videos. Like I just have to record, and they do all the stuff. So that's pretty easy for me to to do things, even if I didn't do much uh, lately. But normally, if I want to, like it's pretty easy for me to be honest. So on something like that, I think this is maybe an important um, question for other players, right? Because now you've been playing Counter-Strike for a very long time. You're, you're starting to become more of like a veteran, obviously, like with, with how much experience you've had. For the younger players coming out, how important do you think stuff like that is, like that the, to, to build their brand in, in that regard? Do you think that's something that they should be prioritizing? Well, uh, I'm pretty sure yes. Uh, un unfortunately for me, uh, that happened pretty late. Uh, I've started pretty late. Uh, I, I would have started uh, earlier for me, I would say. Uh, I should have. But uh, I didn't have, uh, uh, I didn't think about that back then. So that wasn't easy for me to, to do it. But I think like most of the new players should do it. Like they should have people help, helping them to, to grow their brand and uh, trying to to grow it for for the future, like it can be something great for for the future. Just it's it's a bit different, but look, let's look at Fallen. Like he has his YouTube is like a million, more than a million uh, subscribers. Like of course it's Brazil, and they have like uh, the biggest scene in in in, in Counter Strike. But yeah, it's really big, and he's done a lot of work on it. And I think it's gonna help him for 
for the next few years, even if he's not in the Counter-Strike scene anymore. And I think it could be really helpful for everyone to to have, to I can say, to just grow your own brand, just to, to think about the future and just to also help younger people to, to get in. Okay, so a big part of that, like, as a as a learning situation as well, or along those lines. Now we'll keep this one going because we have lots of things that we can talk to you about here this evening. Now, as the year's starting off, we obviously just kicked off. We had the first blast group. You guys are obviously we'll talk about this a little bit later, but your group of death going into the to the next blast group. Uh, what is the kind of I don't want to say like we've written goals here, goals here. Obviously, the goal is to be the best team in the world, right? But like if we were going to, if we were going to say, oh, Vitality was at this point, we saw Shocks join. They had some good moments, they had some bad moments. Where, like, where is like you guys have a? If you had a ladder to climb, what kind of steps are are you personally looking at your team to be able to do in these, uh, let's say, first couple of months of the year to to set you up in the right position for Vitality to be one of the best teams in the world? Well. Um... As a team, I think we we have to. How can I say? We just need to to improve overall, obviously. But uh, the main goal will be to win more tournaments than we did last year. Uh, I would say like one five six in a year. Obviously, being the best team in the world, as you said, it's like for everyone want to be the best. Um, I think obviously. Um, if I, I want to, to to look at, at 2019, I think we need uh, like more firepower. Like we need the more players to be good to win more tournaments. Obviously, Zaiwu has been like fantastic this year. Like I I cannot really describe what he did, but we always had a second player uh, who played pretty good during the event we won, but that wasn't enough most of the time. Uh, the thing is. I think we lacked a lot of time to practice because, as we mentioned before, we didn't think about changing the roster back back in the day. So we decided to accept most of the event because with NBK we were ready on most of the things. So we didn't have we didn't need more time to prepare. But when we decided to bring shocks, we couldn't skip like all those events. So we just had up and down uh, during the the October November moments. Unfortunately, but yeah, that we decided to to maybe do less events this year, but being more prepared on anyone on, on each one, and that thing that's the most important. Like I think that's what Astralis did. Astralis did uh, for two years now, and they've done like fantastic job, uh, a, 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 as we know. And I think that's the best way to think. And yeah, I think that's what we need mainly to improve. Okay, so, that can, yeah, sorry, can go I, for it. Yeah, okay. I, I, yeah, I wanted to ask that where do you think who do you think has the most potential in terms of the lacking firepower, which is obviously there? Who is gonna be stepping up the most, maybe based on practice or or your internal feeling which is which player on the team, obviously, aside from Zaiwu? Uh I'm not gonna lie. I think in practice we're all being pretty good at the moment since I, uh, since I pay center. Every player have been pretty well at the role, playing pretty well most of the time. So uh, obviously, uh, Shox is the big name there. Uh, he's been like uh, one of the best uh, CSGO players ever. And uh, I think uh, from for the, the time he's in the team, he didn't show up yet. He, he knows it. But uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to do it uh, pretty soon because of what we showed, what he showed during practice, uh, the mentality he has and everything. I, I'm pretty sure he's going to, he's going to, bring some some firepower uh, to the team. And yeah, 
I don't have any name. Like EPK is playing like fantastically as his job. Alex as well. He did like so great at EP Center. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone in the team can can show up so, at any time. Striker, you had a question. Yeah, I mean, I just I just had a had a question about Dignitas, who kind of came out with saying that they took a lot of inspiration from you guys from like forming four experienced players around the star offer. And obviously, like so far, it's it's we're we're gonna talk about this later, but it's obviously so far worked. Uh, at least um, whatever, wherever they've they've attended. So yeah, what's your what's your take on them getting that inspiration from you? <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty fun. I don't think they have a Zaiwu actually. Even if I respect <laughs> that player, this Alzerk, I, I respect him. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, we already show uh, saw of a, a bit of him during games he played with the, the, the other teams. He, Novavin, he was in Novavin, yeah. right? Yep. And uh, I don't think he has the potential of Zaiwu, but that's great to see uh, this player taking an example of us. <laughs> I, I wanted to, to ask you like a more uh, question about your specifics as an, in, as an individual player over your career, right? Because back in the day, uh, it was much easier to be a ride or die entry fragger, right? And that's kind of what you've you've always been. I always like watching you because you could find so much space. And when you're feeling the game, um, you could see that you you could sense when there was gaps and take adv- advantage of those things. Do you feel like Counter Strike now has changed to a point where you can't just like? Obviously, we hear from people like, oh, you, you can't just play one role, and I get that. That, but but a little bit of a deeper answer than that. Can you tell us like why you think you can't just play like one type of role anymore as a Counter Strike player, or do you still believe it's it's possible? Uh, well, at least for me, it's not possible anymore. I think I've been doing fragging for ten years, and uh, I think for now it's a bit uh, it's a bit hard. Um, uh, oh yeah, I'm gonna explain it pretty easily. First, yeah, as I said, I've been when you've been doing the same role for years and years. I think sometimes you need a change, and that's what happening for me. I think sometimes I need just to be more behind, like more lurking, uh, more lurking role sometimes, or all those stuff. I think the best example is Astralis. I think, once again, I think they they have like, everyone able to, to entry frag, everyone able to, to clutch, and all the stuff. So I think it's really important. And then, um, uh, it's not possible for a for, for, for few reasons. Like, um, first, People are analyzing you like 10 times or 100 times more than before, okay? So I think everyone has his way to entry frag. Like, I'm not going to lie. You, you, have, um, you, have, you have things to, you prefer to do, like, I don't know, without uh, flash, with flash or whatever. So sometimes people are waiting for you, and it's pretty, it's pretty hard to, to, to just get the kill if they know you too well, I would say. Also, it's pretty hard on the entry fragger perspective. Just when you, I'm gonna get an example. But you go first on the first time and um, on the first rush, and you get killed by a, a player blind. Okay, that's what can happen in, in your in your in your entry fragger career. Then uh, you have an opener killing you. Okay, so that's two runs. You didn't shoot at all. You died. Like you had two weaker runs before, you zero four. Okay, I'm just gonna say something like that. And I think for for me in the past that was pretty hard because you feel yeah like you can't do much, you know, on this moment you can't do much, but yeah, it happened. So oh, sorry for the dogs. And um, so it's pretty hard mentally just to to do all the time entry fragging. And that's what I see from the other teams. I see that there is no 
only one entry fragger as before, as I did for, for years and all the stuff. I think that all, everyone is able to do entry fragging and everyone to do uh, support and all, all the stuff. So I think that's the, that's the biggest reason why people now change it, like most likely, because they're all able to do it. Okay, cool. So one of the, the next topics we're going to move on to here, we're still, we're still just in the hot seat, ladies and gentlemen, with Apex. We're going to be moving to the recent news soon. But we wanted to get your personal thoughts on all of this stuff going on with, with the leagues, right? Obviously, there's the B-side stuff, there's Blast, there's, there's Pro League. From a player perspective, or at least from your perspective, what's your take on all this kind of being? Like, where do you sit? How much say do you have? How much information do you guys even, even really get, get given? Uh, well, I'm not gonna lie. Um, for 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 those league, like for those fight leagues, uh, I'm not involved at all. Uh, I'm not watching anything. I just uh, want to to be focused on myself and on my team. Uh, I think for years uh, I didn't have this team that could be the best team, and I think that's what we have right now. So I'm just trying to focus on us and not trying to focus on other things. I let people like uh, um, in the, the staff doing that and all the stuff. We, we're just trying to do not think about that like most of the other players or all the stuff. We're just trying to get in, in our bubble and just trying to get to win tournaments. That's it. Okay, sweet. That's 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 a great answer, right? You've got the one focus on winning, and and that's I obviously there's so many moving parts, and the CSPPA is around. So hopefully there's individuals who are who are looking out for the players in in that regard. But we're going to keep this one moving, Lucas. Let's run it. We're going into the recent news. Lucas says he's mic muted, so he didn't tell me his back. So I look like a fucking idiot. So I apologize, everybody. That's why we had an extended pause. But that's fine. I'm used to looking like an absolute clown. So uh, look, we're going to be getting into talking about uh, all the all the movings and shakings that have been happening recently. And if you've been sleeping under a rock, maybe you missed the changes that happened to Dustin Mirage and Train. Uh, they opened the skyboxes up on on Train over towards that Ivy area to be throwing smokes uh, into the yard. Connector, Pop Dog. We've been seeing all those bits and pieces that have been going on. Uh, Mirage. They added the bench in middle. As well as a wall bang over towards uh, over towards Palace, and then Dust Two, Jesus fucking Christ, they opened up the uh, sky boxes in B tunnels. Now, Apex, as the only professional Counter Strike player currently in the podcast, what the fuck do you make of these changes, man? <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm not gonna speak about train because we don't play it, and it's not a. Uh, like, That's fair uh, enough. Yeah, it's pretty known. But on the two of the maps, I don't think it changed much, to be honest. Uh, the Dust2 Skybox, uh, we, I don't know if you remember, but we had it on Source. It was uh, like there were a Skybox. I mean, it was outside B. It was but much it was harder, still... right? It yeah. It had to be outside and there was weird yeah, yeah. jumps and all that kind of shit. Uh, well, I don't think it's going to change much, mainly because you cannot throw mollies first. Obviously, you can throw smokes, but uh, you can see the smokes like coming uh, 10 years before. Uh, only the flashes maybe are pretty tough. I'm gonna speak like about. Imagine if you, if you sight and people are just going uh, the big contact and they can flash you from sight that they couldn't do before. All those things you, need, you will need to adapt. But about the other things, I don't think it's changing much. Like the smoke window, the smoke door, you could already done it from middle. So yeah, I don't think much changes uh, on that one. And for Mirage, it's gonna change the game a little bit, mainly for the connector player. 
because he needs to be more focused on the window on the window boost. Also for the short player, like he can get picked by this bench. Uh, that's sometimes pretty tough to, to, to handle when uh, it started. Uh, when we played practice today, I was like, what? oh, well, yeah, I didn't remember. You could get picked from, from that spot. So you don't, you just need to get used to that and just, yeah, be more focused on that, on that window boost and, and all the things. But yeah, I don't think it's just the biggest change ever. Do you think that the changes are positive in any way, though? Except for the sake of change, right? If, if we change something, then we need to adapt and things are kind of interesting because they're new. But if you take that factor away, do you think these changes are positive? For, for Mirage, I don't think so because it's um, it's getting more individual than team-wise. So you cannot like you just can go on, on the window by yourself. You, if you're alone, you can go there without doing much noise. So yeah, on that one, I don't think it's great. But for those two, I think it's great because um, uh, it's gonna help like no TTs to to to. Just retake the B bomb site easier than before because I think B does two is the hardest bomb site ever to retake. Uh, so it's pretty tough. So it's a good it's a good one. But on the other note, like it's already a lot decided. So it's gonna help like all those B strategies or all those B contacts uh, uh, to, to get better. So I think it's like 50, 50 for those two and Mirage is getting just more yeah. His, but for train, for example, I think it's a great idea. Like, through yeah. those nades from that, those spots, like, I don't know, even as city, you can throw smoke just to, to re-smoke. Imagine, like, IVs, it's not the banana inferno, obviously, because it's way different. But, like, you can just refresh the smoke, I don't know, like, create uh, some flashes or whatever, and as T just create some, some strategies from there. And I think it's a great idea to, to open up this... Uh, this guy box. I, I like the train ones as well because I think what it does is Ivy can occasionally be forgotten about for a lot of teams. You know, maybe they send one guy there on the default, someone just to bait out some grenades and ship. You never really seen teams using it a huge amount. You can send more numbers there and be throwing more smokes into the yard from that position. It can give you uh, a way to have some different looks on that kind of stuff. But with with these changes right now, I guess this begs the question because going into blast in a couple of days, right? You guys have the next blast group. No, yes. You have the, is yeah, the next, the next one. one. Yeah, okay, so if you guys have the the B group going on for that, uh, what what goes on with your practice right now? Because I I am sure that they're still I don't know I have to check, but I would assume that they'd still use the the old version of the of the maps. So has it been a bit weird with practice? Well, um, I don't think it's as I said. I don't think it's changing much. So okay, so you think you it's, just it's, need... it's here or there really? Yeah, yeah, it's there, but. I mean, we just have to to say uh, to to refocus on saying like, yeah, it's fine. We're not gonna get uh, smokes uh, through through the skybox on B or whatever. But I don't think, for my personal view at least, it's not changing much. And I think it's the same for my teammates about what we've spoken. Okay, cool. I'm kind of interested. Uh, well, generally, I'm just kind of confused about why Valve are, are giving T's more use more more things to do, especially on Mirage. But I mean, because on Dust Two. That's something that can be used by CTs and retakes, as, as Apex was saying. But but just the, the bench on Mirage is kind of confusing to me, just because man down situations as CT, especially like in situations where you can't have somebody like near window to hear that the the drop when you will jump from uh, from the bench into window, it's going to be so difficult. Like you just don't know where people now. are going to coming exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just have now, no idea if people hard. could be could be in window, even if you know like you're. The, 
So like a 3v3, you know about two people on one side, and the last person could just be window just because he can jump up there alone now. So some of these scenarios is going to be a little bit weird. I'm kind of confused about why Valve have uh, like given T's who are already pretty uh, I, good on this map, you know, more more tools. I want to I wanna offer you a Valve perspective. And Here that we go. is that they probably <laughs> have taken a shitload of that data of Mirage or data. doesn't matter where you're from. You can pronounce the word however the fuck you want. Uh, mm. ha, th with, with that from matchmaking, right? So I would assume that in matchmaking, and I don't know, but I'd assume in matchmaking that map's probably very CT sided because people don't know basic mid-control smokes, you know? They don't know how, how to Molotov the connector player back. They don't know how to get the coordinated grenades into the window so that you can then, you know, all that kind of stuff is not stuff that general players have. But now that they have, okay, well, once we do get mid-control, we can actually just jump our own way up there. For Valve from that, it's probably a change for the casual as opposed to the hardcore. And that is just shit that we have to deal with, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so uh, By the way, one thing that we haven't really, at least I haven't heard you touch upon, was uh, the widening of, of mid. Oh, that's which is true. also another another thing that has been changed a little bit. But I honestly don't the what, think sorry? Uh, the mid has been wide. It is now wider. The like top, the yeah, from yeah, T side, yeah, from yeah. T side. So you can't smoke it with one smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Well, I, you can still block it with one smoke, but it has to be deep. It can't be like the one on top middle. Yeah. You still have to do like the smoke and a Molotov behind it to be able to cover the whole thing. Um, and so, like, I'm not sure that that's going to change much, to be honest. I think it's uh, going to be no, still so, pretty much the same. But they also changed like the B jump spotting thing with the ah yeah, yeah, that's oh, yeah. That's true, that's yeah, yeah. True. and that's the thing I'm I'm really curious of how that will work out. Like, is it going to be even viable to jump spot in maybe in a different different manner or something like that? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. To be honest, I don't think so. Uh, I think they they try to change it because uh, if we look at Mirage, I think B is uh, it like maybe twenty percent of the time by T's and uh, A is eighty percent of the time. Uh, if uh, if you if you look at the match, I, I'm not gonna say exactly yeah. the the percentage, but I think it's around that. So I think maybe they they wanted to to help the teams to go out because obviously to go out of this B app sometimes it's pretty tough. So maybe they they try to to do it. I don't know, but yeah, I think Mirage was. I think for me Mirage is decided map to be honest. If the teams are, are playing well, good counter strike, uh, I think it's decided. And uh, because of the city, you are you need to hold so many angles. Like you, you have so many, like when you A, you have connector, window, palace, and slope to to cover, and you only three players. So it's always tough to 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 hold the, those angles. And I think it was already for me decided. So to have the T's to <laughs> with this this bench, uh, I don't know what to think about that. I think it's uh, yeah, it's not cool. I would say for the cities. <laughs> I was trying to the the, the the jump spot thing with uh, with IMAPAD actually just as the as the update came out we just jump hopped on a server and tried to like see how the jump spotting would be affected. I think there's literally just only one way to do it now, which just gives the opportunity for an opera or anybody to just hold an exact angle of like exactly where people would would jump and you would exactly. just get the shot because otherwise they will show so much of their body that it's going to be easy to hit them anyway. So I think that's the main part that this has changed that the jump spotting is no longer going to be nearly as effective like nobody's going to do it uh, to to as much uh, impact as they have so far i think yeah. most of all i mean i know like zero and Woxic already like they, they love to pick that angle and i think they are already with the last update uh, the, the last map i would say uh, they already have a lot of uh, percentage to kill the player only yeah, right. to see the head so now if the people jump good luck to you 
Yeah, I mean, for, for, <laughs> you, to show you, for you to show only your head, it's literally just one place where you can jump. So it's just easy to, to pre-fire that. Exactly. And the rest is just easy to hit. So yeah, you're right. I, I remember talking to, talking to Stiko back when he was still in Miles Sports so that like he had the, the jump spot, like one technique. And then against, like if, if he played FPL against Oscar, because he knew like Oscar would get that kill all the time, he'd do like something completely different, like jumping off of the bench and spotting through the window to see if he's there, something like that. And that was like the only way you could jump spot against Oscar. So I guess it's the same against like Wokzik and Zaiwu and Yeah, exactly. Like that I now. remember Oscar doing that as well. Like he was pretty boring. Even if you knew he was there, like he was picking until, until death. <laughs> so I guess while we're talking about these map changes, Dan, it might be curious to, to kind of get your input on some of the more recent ones. There was a question that came through chat. I didn't catch whose name it was, but he was asking about uh, the Krieg, the SG, like and its impact in the game. Like, do you like where that gun's at the moment? What do you make of, of that at the moment? Well, I will be completely honest with you. Uh, I didn't play with this weapon for seven months, and that's my <laughs> biggest regret right now. Okay. Uh, to be honest, it's uh, it's way too powerful. Uh, that's for sure. Like the the weapon is is so easy. No, I know how to control it, and I'm not gonna lie. My T side and CT side are way better. I feel more comfortable <laughs> picking people and waiting for them, even with the SG. Um, the only good thing for SG is uh, to do not let AVP doing whatever they want because, for well, as you know, like we can see the best players in the world are Opers, so it means a little bit that. AVPs uh, are a bit too good, I would say. And um, now with SGs, it's harder to repick for for, for Opus. So true. I think that, that's the only good uh, reason we have the SG for me. But yeah, as I said, I'm really sad because I didn't use it before. But yeah, I know I see the, the benefits of it. And I think I got tracked for for few lands uh, when I was using my AK and my M4 as City. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to use it now. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, what about the economy? Do you like those changes? Because the more that I, I start to think, initially I didn't like it because I thought it took away from some of the grandeur of like winning a clutch in a, in a moment, knowing you're going to break their money. But now the more I think about it, it seems like it puts more focus for every player on every single oh, yeah. decision they make in every round because there's no more, you're not giving away any free rounds anymore. What's your, what's your take on that? Uh, I think it gets CS more competitive because you play more rifle runs. It's just best, be, it's just better for first for the viewers, I guess, for the viewer experience. You don't see like people running with Glocks against a, a big SG and like doing an ace. Uh, I think, yeah, the, the games are getting more tense because Obviously, there are like more runs play, uh, more rifle runs played than before, and it's harder to break the economy. It's you always intention that oh, at least one player has an SG or an AK, so you don't say yeah, it's equal. Let's pick together. Like there is always you, you're never sure that they're gonna be. I mean, most of the time you are, but uh, I don't. I'm not gonna say most of the time, but half of the time you know that they free equal, but sometimes you don't know what they're gonna do. So it's just gives you the most surprise you have you, you had not before like that you knew that they had 1.4 and like you okay it's uh, pretty easy for us to force by let's just play like completely different or whatever not as predictable right all right well let's keep the recent news chugging along here we're going to be talking now about uh, the eu minor closed qualifier that heretics was invited to now strike or prof well actually prof you wrote this you want to you want to <laughs> talk us through this well obviously 
heretics got invited to the close qualifier. So I think most of the people's just first reaction was what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> Even though most of them, like most of the people that are in the know, like because if you follow Nell, he was tweeting about it, that they are going to most likely be invited based on the ESL ranking. And that also comes from like ESL ranking basing individual players having points. So I guess Kiyoshima got some points from some event with uh, G2 when he was a stand-in and stuff like that. So it just transpired that Heretics, who are now 65 on the HLTV ranking, were invited into the close qualifier over teams like uh, Big, over teams like, I don't know, who Sprout, uh, uh, who else was Dignitas, obviously, because they didn't play, but uh, Ago and a lot of these teams that are objectively like had better results than them. So that was kind of a, a lot of, a lot of people were upset about that during these like tier three teams, tier four teams, but considering they don't have that big of a following and they're not listening to Apex and building the brands, it didn't really make that much noise, I feel like. Yeah, so like it was something which, to be completely honest with everything that's been going on lately, I've been having my focus more around like what's been happening with these leagues and obviously running into Blast. I don't even know that these guys got invited. For those people, I gave Lucas the link. We're going to bring up and see all the teams who are invited to the closed qualifiers. Um, but this Heretics team is Kishima, XMS, who apparently retired, but he's I guess he's back. Uh, Maka, Twice Lucky. Yeah, man. Just That's why. That's why I, I asked you guys, like, why did you guys run that Smith thing? And you're right. He didn't actually say that he retired. But like... If you do ever come out like Smith just did and say you retired and he waited, I kind of actually respect that because if you say you reti- you're retiring and then you come back like six months later or a year later, yeah. fuck off, mate. Just get out of here. And then uh, is it Jane? J- J-E-Y-N. Is that how you say it? Jane? Jane, yeah. Jane. Okay. Yeah. So that's the, that's the Heretics roster. Obviously, they've made some roster moves and stuff in there. Well, um, it's important to know that two months ago, this team was like two-thirds of, uh, two-fifths of what they are now. Yeah, changed a lot. Or recently, the other right? way around, whatever. <laughs> So they added two new players at the start of this year, if I remember reading yeah, rightly. Yeah, they, they, they kicked David P to get uh, Jane, and uh, also they kicked uh, Logan, I guess, to get XMS or something like that. Well, now they can make that Belgium team, right? They can get Existence, David P, Scream. <laughs> We're all getting... Ex- no? Just, okay, just me. Well, Devo um, Dubek, uh, David P, and Logan left good, all good during, during the last month. Yeah. So here's the team list, guys. Obviously, it's quite quite small, but we can run you through this. So for uh, Europe, it's Fnatic, NIP, Heroic, Mad Lions, Godsend, OG, Movie Star Riders, and then Heretics. Uh, obviously, the last two there stand out like a little bit of a sore thumb comparatively. Uh, some big names they're missing. Obviously, Big just qualified. Uh, who else just qualified along with Big? Big uh, Tough. That's right. And obviously, Complexity were playing there as well. They were playing from London. They played against Big in one of those last games. They were looking pretty good. Um, and yeah, then, I mean, they owned all of these like small teams, and then what they lost to Baker. But like, obviously, looking at this list, the, is the main critique we're looking for here is the fact that just heretics shouldn't well, be heretics in that team included. Stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, yeah. Like, but sure, where's probably, Star like, Riders are thirty-two in the world according to your rankings? Yeah, but they've well, right? been they've yeah. been like around top three for a long time. Like they've stuck around that kind of level for a while. And like the important caveat is, literally, heretics is not even the same core. That they were last month like none of, none of this makes sense because of that and the thing is imagine imagine uh Astralis, Majesk got kicked from Astralis, okay he creates a team with friends he's gonna get invited to the close qualifier obviously he's gonna be so yeah, yeah he's gonna have a lot it of mean, points like, because of his time with the straws yeah. he's gonna play with uh, uh his family and he's gonna get 
to the to the closed, uh, like you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah exactly. A bit of trouble uh, regarding that. I mean, obviously, like I don't think ESL would ever allow that. But this is just like a hypothetical, ridiculous version of the actual thing that would happen, which would be like uh, Nico, the retired Danish guy, coming back and Trace and Magisk and I don't know, like Lome, the coach of Heroic, and then the <laughs> fifth is like a guy without an HLTV profile. That would be the team, and they legit would be invited, and that's that's definitely the problem. Yeah, well, ho hopefully there's something in place here from ESL. Maybe there's another one of those things we can reach out about. And like you said, it's probably something they would never allow. But hopefully they I, look. These are competent people. Uh, obviously, sometimes shit happens. But the people that I work with at ESL seem pretty competent all the time. I'm sure they have something in place. I'm not going to vouch for them. I'll try and find out. Maybe we can confirm that uh, on, a, on an episode down the line. Um, so as well as that, we did have. Uh, we can skip with the news here to the next one because it doesn't really matter about the other invited ones we're more worried about especially in North America we know the names are going to be there this is what we were going to talk about right was the open qualify now there's a bunch of open qualifiers for these teams to to qualify through but um, what did you guys did you guys catch many of these games I was unfortunately working while a lot of these matches were on I was so kind of I was kind of following many. that at least, at least for the first stages not that much for the for the last one but there were, there were other things going on at the same time so yeah, it was hard that, to hard to yeah, keep blast up and that and ice challenge roar going on kind of the same 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 time but i think overall i was actually even though dignitas had not dignitas i'm confused with the name it's like is it dignitas or is it not they Dig, have like one is still dignitas apparently yeah dig deep hashtag awesome, <laughs> awesome hashtag uh it like they had like one for good performances with close like, game mean? against the nexus the romanian team it was like they objectively should have lost it. It was like 14-13 for the other team, and they were eco like force buying, and they won the force buy and then won the game. But other than that, they were kind of pretty pretty good. I think I was surprised. So there was like I remember I was checking the scoreboard on one game, and like there was like seven or eight rounds played of a match, and Forrest had seventeen kills, and I was like, oh okay. I mean, well, just can we just bring up the uh, wait? Give me one second. I'll I'll just could give this to Lucas because yeah, the brackets uh, and stuff. Huh? Regarding regarding Vitality and Zoo and how they how they're playing around him and how he's like the main carry, and Dignitas, you know, having that inspiration from them. If you look at the stats, this looks very much like a like a typical Vitality tournament. Because yeah, I think Halzark had like one point thirty five or anything, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, everyone I, else I'm was about like a one point Lucas. Uh, oh really? Was that, that disparity was that bad, was it? Yeah, because it's one point. It was for the last like, games, not for the not for the like the, well, open, yeah, for not, the first not, open not, qualifier games aren't on HLTV. Yeah. So whatever yeah, is on HLTV is that. Yeah, yeah, I think like a thing is like uh, comparing uh, Dignitas with Vitality in terms of the model, like that is one thing to do. But then if you go like pound for pound with the players, like okay. If Forrest can play at his level, like not his GOAT level, but at, at his decent level, and Halzerk can play well, okay, well, that's exciting. But no one else in the team has, like Freiburg, when he was on Heroic, uh, he kind of reinvented himself a little bit as a player. And I think he was having more impact there than he obviously was in his previous time on NIP. But the other two, they're not going to be bringing any form of firepower to be competitive on any level that I would consider within the top 20. I, I, I well, maybe on the cusp, you know, maybe they dip into the, I, it's just the whole thing. It's hard to see them being, you know, a competitive team in, in the counter-strike landscape, to be honest, considering how stacked it is at the moment and how old all of these players are. Would you say the average age was profits like 27 or something? 27.6, I think. 
Yeah, so we're start, they're starting to get on. The fact is they've qualified to this point, so they've already made the first big step, right? You can so, see it now. You can and, see it now. And, and I'm going to lie, it's a tough one. We qualified with Vitality. We qualified at the fourth one. So, yeah, open okay. qualifiers are terrible, to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that in itself like, shows, shows that Dignitas are probably not shit, right? Like for how, for how many? I agree. It's not easy to play those angry teams. Like mainly when you don't you, when you don't used to play like six game in a row with uh, I I don't know like two hours break because you want sixteen one sixteen one and you need to wait two hours before the next game starts. Like yeah, it's right. really it's really hard. I've done uh, like I think with Vitality at the beginning we done seven or eight open qualifiers or something like that, and it's really tough. You'd need to be mentally prepared for that and. I think they they've done the job, and that's pretty pretty good, uh, to be honest. I guess they can only continue to prove it to us, right? Like if if this is a new environment, this seems to be the the line coming out of the new environment might be a way to uh, to you know reinvigorate some of these players, and if they push the boundaries and show Counter Strike can be played into your thirties at a competitive level, then that's great. That's great for all the players playing now. That's great for the future of the game. Um, there's all these bits and pieces there. Did did we have any other takeaways from those uh, open qualifiers there? Because we're I mean, uh, it's just a continuation of big looking good off on the back of that um, the Leipzig event. run. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's surprising. It's it. clicked so quickly, right? I didn't think it's bringing Kido and Sirius in it would click so fast. And I think one of the most impressive things is when I go and I just quickly check some of the stats. Obviously, I need to go watch the games to get a bit more context. Uh, but Zantara seems to have like hit not his old level. But he seems to be like towards the top of the scoreboard a lot more for these guys. So obviously something has changed in the team for, for that to happen. Um, so I guess bigger look at who qualified for the North American side of things. Envy. Okay, that's they just added uh, Legia as the coach. They added Calix. They added uh, Moose and Mihu, and they were just owned everybody right. So that was pretty pretty yep. easy for them right yeah. there. And, um, and Rugrats the other team is like Rugrats. It's a Zelsis mix. Or yeah, okay. team, I'm not sure, honestly, so can't say. All right, well, fairly gonna, unknown people outside of Zelsis, really. We're going to follow that stuff up, uh, but we were going to talk about this Envy roster anyway. We just touched on it there, so we can we can dive into this one right now. I mean, uh, do we they, really want to talk about it, or do we want to go to the ends and, and blast? Yeah, things? let's go to because the ends that and is shit. that is because we used a lot of time for You're right. for this part. <laughs> You're right. Let's keep it moving. Let's head over to Ice now. For those of you who aren't too familiar at the moment, uh, Ice Challenge is going down in London. They were playing from I think it was like the Twickenham Stadium, and then they're going to yep. move over to the Expo now when the week's going to kick on off. Um, but if you missed it, Ants lost to uh, to two teams quite quite handedly. Um, it doesn't even matter about who the teams were that they lost to because that's not the point. Well. Wait, okay. I, I <laughs> to be honest, on. yeah, I agree with Sponge. Finisher, finisher. Okay. Just the direction I wanted to go with this was we looked at this team last year, first major, you know, with that massive performance. Then obviously they had some issues. They thought they could change their in-game leader. Nothing's gone from there. It's not for me about the caliber of team that they're even losing to. It's the fact that they went from being a team that we considered potentially based off their fundamentals to be very high up or very strong within that top 10 to now a team that can't make anything work. Sergey, I picked him for my fantasy team. Like I'm not picking on him, right? But he was the best player for that team. He was he was like the consistent factor. Like Alu, yeah, he'd have his moments, but Sergey was the guy we looked to for the future of the team. I think that there's obviously something fundamentally wrong within the team right now that a player of his ability, he is a fucking great player, is not able to be performing. So there has to be something going on in the team right now for this not to be working. They knew, they, what were they talking about? Oh, we need more time to practice. 
They've come out here, yeah, and then since then nothing has changed really. But where, where where do we where do we look for this? Like, what do we? How do we even start to speculate? Honestly, it's just shocking to me how I just refuse to believe that this is just the result of one player change, whether it's the in-game leader or not. That's not that's not how somebody can drop off. Whether no matter who you change, even if like okay, I'm gonna use Vitality as an example here. Even if Vitality dropped Zaiwu, you would not see this kind of a drop. Like, there's no way. I don't no. see how this is possible. But, well, um, if I can answer to this, I think you're wrong because you don't know what's happening. I'm not even gonna talk about. Uh, I don't know why this change were made. Like uh, for XCB, I have no, no no clue. But let's imagine that Sergey and uh, Alexei were good friends. And they, yeah, they just had fun together, and uh, yeah, everything in the team was working because, like, I don't know. For me, first of all, uh, Alex B was a big piece. I don't know, but he, he was bringing something like special in, the, in this team uh, in terms of uh, his way to to be a game leader, and that's what I liked. I don't. They were playing a lot of packs. They were doing like some. Some change. I, I don't know. I like the playstyle, and I think like when they removed him, everything went like completely wrong. And yeah, as I said, I think this this thing is a, a big change because in game leader is like I don't know. They fin fin finished him. Didn't have a great great in game leader for for a long time. They finally had one, and they wanted to to remove it. That's their choice, and I'm not gonna say anything about that. But yeah, let's maybe. Some of the players like had a good relationship, and now it's pretty different. So, in a team, like just... everything can happen if you don't feel good with your teammates or whatever. I don't know what's happening, but I'm just yeah. talking globally that it can be possible to drop drop off when don't yeah you don't feel good in the team. I can yeah. see I can see how like the first couple of tournaments or something where because they literally didn't have any time to prep, to prep. I think they didn't even like they had like some like two practice days. For those first two tournaments that they played right after the major, so I, I get I get that that part of it. But obviously, like since then, they've only almost continued to drop off. This is like their worst result yet, I think, which is just curious to me. And obviously, you have to look into like confidence, how that affected their confidence, because like Sponge says, like a, a player of Sergey's caliber doesn't really have events like like an S challenge, but that's just a result of them completely losing um, losing like faith in what the team is doing at this point. Be back one second, boys. Someone's at the door, and that's unusual. You yeah, do okay. that. Hopefully, not a burglar or something. I want the reply, and also sorry for like almost laughing earlier with people in chat talking shit, and it always cracks me up. But uh, what I want to say is one of the issues with people. I mean, it's easy to hate on ends, but so many people are doing it that I don't want to take that stance because it's it's just boring for me at this point, and I want to be the hipster analyst. As always, <laughs> so one of the things that is important to note is even if they did drop off, I think it's it's wrong to judge them on the like top two at the major or like top five team in the world when objectively they were already kind of on the downturn with with the Lexi B considering the AUG nerf, considering some th things that they are like other teams are coming up like the mouse sports, the whoever like Fnatic and these these teams that are raising the level. And a lot of people paying extra attention to ends, so that is also going to be, let's say, they're realistically they would even with Alexi B maybe be a top ten team, but they they didn't then drop like fifteen places, they dropped five to ten places, which is kind of a more realistic 
judgment of what they what happened like since since the change. Even with that said, though, I agree with Sponge from the beginning that it doesn't matter who you play. Even if you play Astralis, if you go on Inferno and play the CT side and you get one round, that is a joke. And you you pick Nuke and you go on the T side, you get three rounds, but that was after you're like 12-1 down. So you manage like you scrape three rounds on the T side with just like having such a like, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. It just doesn't seem inspired on the T side at all. So yeah. I think that's why it doesn't even matter who they played. Just the way they played was so bad that that is just it's very very worrying. They would have probably lost to almost anybody like relevant with with the way they played. I can agree yeah. with that for sure. See, I think I don't know what I just missed with the conversation, guys. Is I, this is the problem with living out the front of a fucking bus stop? People just press the buzzer and they can fuck off. But uh, what what did I miss? Someone catch me up. Did I miss much? Oh well, yeah, uh, Apex said like one player can affect. I, I think you were there for that. Yeah, can uh, affect anything. I just added that that they are realistically not a f- top five team at the time of Alexi believing. Or if he would stay, they would still probably drop off a bit to like top ten. So it's not that big of a drop off, and that's more or less it. But I'm I'm, I'm f- not not entirely sure where you're getting this from because like obviously sure they they had like a massive bomb out in Cologne, but other than that, like they literally ended the season with a second place in Chicago. And then one and one at the major was, but they lost. No, they the were at the like, major and they they, they made they it lost? to the playoffs easily. Like they didn't even get contested there. Like I, that that's how surprising they were. And then then they dropped off when they got sunny. Like they, it's not like they they stopped being competitive. Like even towards the end of of uh, of the tenure with with Alexi, they still competed for really deep placings. But objectively, so kind of like weird that those tournaments. Sorry? Like especially Chicago wasn't that competitive from their side. No, of course, of but I mean, still, still, those are those and are teams that are. And they lost map to right to MRBR with the coach, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think the group, so, the group stage wasn't that like group stage of the of the major. They just ran on momentum. I think if they lost the first game, they'd be in the the situation where they are now. It's not just about the team in terms of players and strategy. Even though I think like the tactical aspect is one of the issues. I think it just super mentally bad for them because you see them like first map against OG they play kind of they play okay they maybe should have won it maybe OG threw a, b- a bunch of rounds as well but I think they are expected to throw rounds because of like new team international stuff like right. that so they were like Alu goes and drops like 46 or 47 kills on train and they <laughs> lose <laughs> and then after that like all three maps after that that they played was super shit so I think if they win that map, the mentality would like go on, and I think that's a similar thing to to what happened at the okay. at the major. Kid, I, I got Lucas to uh, I got the stat page for Sergey right now. I'm not just picking Sergey. I'm picking Sergey because he, in my mind, was the best player in this team. All that kind of stuff, right? If we can bring that up. Um, so if you look at that, Katowice is obviously where all this kind of stuff kicked off for them, looking good. If we scroll up. Uh, Lucas, we want to go up to to the more recent kind of results here. Obviously, there's some some red in there, right? There's only one thing missing, I think. Yeah, there's only Ice Challenge missing. There you yeah, go. Yeah, so but oh, there we go. Ice Challenge right there is is the most recent event, and they've gone out in dead last, and he has had that rating. So the thing is, if you look at Alexi left after the major, right? We already knew that he was he was gone then. But you look at Sergey's rating at the major, a 1.24. After that, everything has not been anywhere near his level. Now, the team has obviously been struggling. I'm just using him as the example. As somebody who is such a good player. So they're not using him, obviously, in the same way that he was being used before. That's already a massive problem. Like, before shit was working, now we're just going, all right, well, we're just going to fuck up this kid's career because we didn't want to have an in-game leader. Because, right, here's, here's the deal. 
I know that back in the Katowice time, before that event, there were some things that were said that maybe Alexi had some, some issues, potentially with attitude, potentially around boot camping. He had to get told, no, this is the situation from a managerial position, right? That I can tell you as a fact. But even if that's the case, right, if you have to tweak and work a little bit harder on, you know, molding him as the individual, what, like Dan said, Finland finally had a good in-game leader. What the fuck? Like, Unless he's going in there every day and he's just a toxic individual and he's like, people hate him or whatever. Like, unless that's the case, you, that's not the player. And to be there's changing. no way that was the case either. Like from from the way that they stood <laughs> up and everything, it was so so goddamn respectful that there's no way anything like that was happening. That they literally just thought, okay, Sonny's an improvement in, in the fragging department. Let's get him. Let's get him on. Right. That's I'll like nothing you, indicated that there was a problem. I'll tell you what you just said, striker. Now is not correct from at least one point of view. Let's go. I can't tell you more than that. Okay. <laughs> Don't be that guy. Well, that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very helpful to me, honestly. I'll just say that. I'm just saying, so, I'm just saying that. I, like, we are all speculating here, and you're like, there is no way that this happened. Like, no, but I'm not saying. Maybe there is a way. I'm saying there's there's no way that they were like hating each other at that point. Like the no, I don't, I don't. But they're, they're what, not that kind of. They're not like Russians or I don't know, like French people that go into fights in, in the same way. I <laughs> no, think. I'm just. Yeah, of course. But I'm just saying like from from everything that we heard afterwards, like that, that, that split was as respectful as it can get. Like that should also tell you something, right? I'm not. I'm going to talk with experience, but like in, I'm. In France, we lacked uh, in-game leader for for a few years now. Since uh, I would say existence dropped down, like around 2016 and Happy. So yeah, both of them like kind of dropped in around 2016. And uh, now we have Alex. Uh, he's not French, but he's, he's French speaking. And uh, I'm not gonna lie, we're not gonna let him go. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> like when you have like such a good in-game leader and that's what I think about IRXCB. I never played with him. I don't know him at all. But what I, from what I see, what I've seen from him um, in uh, in Ants, he was like doing really good job as, for me, as Alex does right now. So yeah, I I, I think they're going to take it as experience, but they don't, they're not going to let another in-game leader go as they did before. Okay, well, I think like me, Striker, and Prof could speculate on what happened behind closed doors until the end of time with this Ants team. But this is a great segue to talk about uh, MBK and OG. Now, obviously, we saw them play at the end of last year at Summit. Uh, that was kind of their debut LAN. Uh, there's names in there that people have probably never heard of, like Mantu uh, coming in, coming into the mix here as the primary AWPA. Uh, I would assume because OG ran out of money. No disrespect to Mantu, but like that's probably the case that, well, that happened there. In or a, also, a complexity of, had more money, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, I, look, the thing is, right? Even if you it, like, there has to be, there would have to have been other primary orpers out there that you could have gotten. I guess you're I'm right. They sure, did like, react who, too though? slowly. At that time, who was available? That was yeah. a, that was a good offer. Like literally, they went after Guardian. the most perspective Oscar? people. Oscar? Did have for Media? Yeah, Oscar, it was literally Oscar, Guardian or... and Oscar, like players like that, and they obviously yeah, yeah. didn't want to go down the like tried and tested, but actually, are they tried and tested because they're can just be like what Guardian did in Navi, like a dud completely. So True. Yeah. Okay, so if we just if we look at this right now, they obviously made it through to the next phase of, of ICE. So that's already one thing that they've done better than Ents. So Alexi's got to be pretty happy there. Uh, if people missed Ents it, there too, so. that's fantastic. If uh, if you watch the OG thing they did, so obviously there was the true sight thing, guys. If you missed that, it's a Dota thing. Maybe head over and fucking watch that. Dota's great for, for that kind of content. The next day, 
um, they did like an OG night, I think they called it, and they had the players on the couch now asking questions. And MBK actually answered the question for Alexi B, um, saying, you know, obviously this is what we want to do. We want to try and go in there and and I'm I don't want to put words in his mouth, but the sentiment was along the lines of get revenge, right? You know, show that you know you were wrong in replacing us. So obviously that's like that vitality might have to do with soon, Dan. Um, but uh, in terms of them at this event right now, have you guys been able to watch too much of it? I, I tuned in for I think it was. One one of the maps when the series they won and half of the map in the series they lost. Do we do we think take too much from it so far? Have we learned a lot? I'm I'm not too impressed overall. I I'm just obviously the one dance game. How much can you take away from from ends at the moment? It's very about as much as NIP beating MIBR. Yeah, and then they played against Navi and got wrecked more or less, and uh, that's it. That's their run so far. So it's not like they did something amazing. And this is the tournament where six teams go through through the playoffs. So when they beat ends, they're already in the playoffs, right? Yeah. So I'm not too impressed. I think they still have a lot to prove. Valde was not like on that much. Isa was doing good though. So that that's a guy I'm pretty excited about. Other than that, it's like let's, let's still let's see. Like even though you, they did beat ends on the rankings and overall, they didn't yet to me prove that they're better than ends. Like in the long run, in the like a three to six month span, right? Okay. I guess it's too early to speak about them. That's what I think. I mean, they don't have like much preparation. They don't, they're just their second events. Either yeah, if yeah. they do bad or good, like they're just going to learn from it. And let's see in like, I would say two events or something like two months. And then we're going to be able to, to say anything about them. That's my opinion. At least. I have a question though for you. NBK said that he's calling the CT sites. So do you think that's going to be a problem in, in this team? Because it turns out to be, from my understanding, one of the issues that made the problem in, in your team, in Vitality. Um, it depends of, uh, of uh, how they handle it to, together with LXCB. I mean, if they, they, they want both to cheer, they both agree. Why not? But I mean... I've played a long, a long. I have a kind of like long career, and you never have like two people always agree. And so I think they're gonna have some some fights sometimes, and it depends how they handle it, I guess. But yeah, maybe it's gonna work, maybe not. But I, I know that NBK always wanted to do two two leaders, kind of two leaders and two leaders. He always oh, okay. wanted it, and um, I know he, want, he, he tried it also with G2 back in the days when we were with Sharks. He tried it again, and with Happy, maybe right? it's going to work, but you need to fight a good person with, with him, and yeah, maybe it's going to happen, maybe not. So sure let's, let's, lay, let's lay this out. Like Obviously, we, we have, like Dan said, we don't have too much information so far on the tournaments we've seen them play. But let's, let's think about if all of these players played up to, to peak, or the perfect storm is... Uh, obviously, your supportive elements are going to be the likes of MBK and Alexi B, right? We're not expecting them to be topping the, the fragging charts in that regard. They're going to be those elements who maybe make plays when they have to um, and are going to be calling the shots more so. That's where it's going to come down to Volda has to find a level like he was on before yeah, North that's what before I was he started in-game leading. He needs to be like <coughs> the baseline. He needs to be just Mr. Consistent for the team, which is going to allow these more flexible individuals like Mantu and Issa. Because Issa, when he was in, you know, paired up with Woxic, they were a really good duo in that Hellraiser's roster. So the potential here, it exists, but it, it means that 
Mantu, Issa, they need to be able to be consistent. And the same thing said with Volda. And Volda doesn't seem like he's ever been himself since he took over that in-game leadership role. So are these things that we think players can get back? Because I can list a slew of players who have taken over in-game leadership roles who then are now are nowhere near their old form. Like, let's go Adren, right? He's one of them. You could say Hobbit, he took it over. You know, Dozy doesn't even play anymore. He's not even going to go to China. I mean, those with those people, you can kind of argue that they were already on the downswing. So it's sure. kind of hard to say that the, that the in-game leading was, was the part of it. With Neo, Valde, that's that is pretty, pretty, pretty clear. Yeah. You know, you could go through a bunch of names. Like, uh, get, like yeah, you know, so so do, do we... Let's, what is the highest peak with this five-man roster that we see for this team? Prof, what do you reckon? I think the peak is super high, but I don't think it's going to be reached. Okay. Well, how like, super high? Like what, the super high, super high is like top, top eight. Top eight. You reckon they yeah. could, this roster could make top eight? I think theoretically it could. I'm not saying they will, but I think that theoretically they could, yeah. All right. Striker? I mean, it, I mean, it depends mainly on... And uh, Mantu as well. Like, so, I was yeah. going to develop as yeah. an opera because, as I said before, I think the opera is the most important player in the team. I mean, he's the main carry in uh, almost the big teams. And I think it's going to... Let's see how he develops as a player. And uh, if he brings a lot of firepower, I think other players can follow up. I'm pretty sure they're all able to do it. So let's see how he evolve as a player. Charlie, I mean, for me, for me, yep. without, without Valde reaching the, reaching the form... Which is at least what what we're so far assuming that he's not going to be able to. Um, obviously, he could. We don't know. It's like two events in. We just can't be sure that that's what's happening yet because he hasn't really been back. And from what we know from that talk that you were talking about as well in that uh, on that stream on the OG night, they were also talking about how, or maybe it was a different interview. I'm actually not sure how Valde was kind of stuck in like the in-game leadership ways and trying to trying to give too much input and you know stuff like that, you know, affecting him. And so unless I'm guessing he, he kind of got over it only recently from what they were saying. So that's all, that's something that we have to look forward to. But uh, without him becoming one of those carries, as you were saying, I'd say like a top 15 is going to be like a reasonable place where they're going to stay. All right. I mean, so my top 10, top eight obviously includes Valde being like yeah, great. Sure. Yeah, that makes that, that, that I'd agree with that for sure. So like let's top 10. Let's wrap this ice discussion up with uh, who do we think is going to win the event? Obviously, left right now for the quarterfinals is Mad Lions versus OG. On their side of the bracket is Mouse Sports, already waiting in the semifinal. On the lower side of the bracket, or on the other side of the bracket, uh, sorry, is Godsent and Virtus Pro uh, and Navi waiting in that semifinal. Out of those six names left, Dan, who you got taking the, taking the event? I'm going to say the obvious, Mouse. Okay. Striker? I mean, that's that's... That's the obvious, obvious thing to say for sure. Especially like, basically, this is a discussion between two teams, and it's none of the quarterfinalists based yeah, on what we've seen so far. Because Bows and Bows and Navi are the only candidates here, I think. Um, and the problem with Navi is that they've only played together for what, like, a couple of weeks with uh, with Perfecto, maybe not even that. So I, I assume most sports will be able to take the win in the, in the final against them. Prof, same sentiment. Yeah. I, I agree, yeah. But uh, just want to say that Perfecto has been looking pretty good with Navi, yeah. so that's that's pretty nice. Just slotting in super passive roles, but actually fragging as well and not doing mistakes. It's like pre I'm pretty impressed so far. It's right. also well, we can talk about that like next episode when something when they said also. Up. By the way, in that Blade interview, if you if you read it earlier today, um, he said that they were making adjustments even like live on the fly against the. Uh, who they were playing against, I forgot which, which uh, match he was talking about right now. 
um, I think it was the godsend one, um, where they where he said that they were making like literally swapped positions between I think it was Play Me and Perfecto. I'm not not entirely sure he actually specified that, but I, that's what I got from the game. Okay. Uh, so that that's what they did like mid game. So I assume they just don't have everything down yet, and that's just going to become a problem if they meet a team like Mouse Sports. Assuming Mouse Sports will going to play uh, at their normal level, you know. So I think with the final as uh, what's his name? And chat just said, where is his name? Fucking hell. What? Yo Flow. Yo, as Yo Flow and chat just said, it is oh, okay. best of five final as well. So yeah, if oh, it's okay. Navi yeah, versus yeah. Mouse or whatever, there's no yeah. way Navi have been able to do enough prep, right? It's just, it's not possible. So yeah. It would I take, mean, it would take like simple and electronic being fucking gods the entire game, like for them to, to beat most sports at a, uh, at a high level. It's, it's not, not impossible. Not impossible. I'm not saying it's an impossible game to win. I'm just saying like, yeah. realistically, obviously most sports have the edge. All right. And. Let's go on to the last one here because uh, Prof's got some face-it games to go and play. Even though he's biased towards ESL, he still plays face-it for some reason. Um, we're going to be... That, it's free. That was, that, was, that was a jab, guys. Some people made some comments saying that Prof was biased in the last one we did on, on YouTube. Anyway, um, we're going to quickly talk about Blast. Now, Blast Premier Group 1 just kicked off uh, and we had FaZe. They were able to, to take the top of the group. They're liquid-looking, underwhelming. We had... NIP uh, with their new boy Nort come in. They have threat coaching and then MIBR. Oh dear. <laughs> Let's start with the phase conversation and uh, then we'll work into obviously Dan's group, uh, which is coming up next. Uh, phase for you guys, were they, they they were impressive to me. Dan, did you, sure. did you watch much of them play? Yes, I did. Uh, I did. I, I watched all the games and um, I mean, it, for me, it's all the time the same with phase. Like when they hunt individually, it's going to be, even if you're Australia, if you're anyone, it's going to be a tough one for you. And uh, that's what happened at the, uh, at the tournament. Uh, I saw like uh, Rain being like super good, Coursera coming back to super great level, Nico would say as usual. And uh, yeah, Brocky taking the all past T side. He looked good. Looked, he looked it, good. Yeah, I think it's great IT. Insane. A lot of following uh, the team. So yeah. The, I think they've been pretty good at that one, and they've showed some promising thing for for the f next future. Okay. Uh, key takeaways, Prof. Give me give me two of your key takeaways. So I didn't really watch a lot because I was doing guys and uh, minor, so I kind of skipped that, and I will be, I guess, catching up at some point. My main takeaway was just Brokey on the op. I think when I when he joined, I did that big article on him, like strengths and weaknesses, and I thought that putting him in the op role would make the most sense to just like make him comfortable but they put him in like super i don't know super supportive style and i think this is this is going to be pretty good for them now they need to get like they can't have a player that's just a, like a fifth and do the nip thing where you know you take all of the shit roles and then after six months you can't frag and your rating is like 0 0.92 you're gonna get kicked that doesn't work so i think this is a much better option all right, we've run a little bit over time, Striker, so we're going to wrap this pretty quick. I want yeah, you to give me, of the other three teams, just a okay. quick key takeaway uh, for, for these of, of either problems or good things that you saw. Jesus. Well, I could like, do the liquid you one. They didn't practice the well like, That's it. I'm sorry? Uh, the liquid one, in my opinion, is they didn't practice well enough in the practice. lead up for this I'm not event. sure. From what I heard, they were shit in, shit in practice, so maybe... They Just had like, no one to practice against, right? Think about it. Maybe. Like I said this on the desk, the only teams that were left in North America for them to play would have been like Genji, Cloud9 was away at DreamHack, uh, 100 Thieves was away boot camping as well, MIBR who was in the group, obviously they were away, 
Uh, EG, as we know from Chet, they wouldn't start practicing until now. They were yep. away. We're, yeah, we're already gone game. through all the big names, right? So who the fuck are Liquid using to warm into the season? And, and that was my key point uh, while analyzing over there. Yeah, uh, still... rights. I'm oh, sorry? No, I said he's right. Like, yeah, yeah. like he's, if there are no one to play against, like, how can they, they practice at all? Yeah, can yeah I, can, I can definitely see that. And it still needs to be said that they didn't even lose a map. Sure, they played like those scary overtimes on Vertigo against the MIBR and the, what was the other map against the IP? Mirage. Uh, Mirage, Mirage they, right? Mirage. 14 they played six up. 14 six up. Yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was a rough one, honestly, that they managed to Yikes. somehow drop that. Um, but other than that, they actually didn't lose either of those maps. So, so I guess that's uh, that's a positive for them, even though they definitely weren't looking at their best, especially from the from the phase games because they were kind of blown out both times, which was uh, honestly surprising to me. Okay, well let's uh, let's move into the last little point here, and everyone can go play their Counter Strike. Uh, we have Vitality's group, which is uh, Navi, Vitality, Complexity, who have been over there practicing in Europe. Now they also were playing within in the, the minor qualifiers, and of course Astralis. Okay, that's the group. Now the top two teams are going to qualify for the finals. The bottom two teams will go through and they'll play in the showdown. So that's going to uh, be an event later later down the track. Uh, but with all this kind of stuff going on here, uh, based off of what we were talking about. Prof and Striker. Obviously, we can't ask Dan this question. A little bit biased. Um, <laughs> do you think that Navi, with this limited practice, that means that they're going to to struggle versus the, the two big names that we know? Are we expecting them to come in one of the the bottom two slots? No, I don't think it's that's necessarily the case, especially when we haven't seen the, the other two play. Okay, well, we've seen Complexity play. Yeah, oh, that's no, the only two we've seen play. We haven't seen play. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So do you do you think Astralis would come into this year underwhelming like like I think it's, from Liquid? Uh, look, we've seen we've seen Astralis start slow like after break. So I, I think it's entirely possible that they that they just won't be like third. I guess Navi aren't like the best prepared either, but at least they've had some playtime now at Ice Challenge and they're still going to have at least another series to go. So like obviously they've been able to warm up a little bit to the competition. Complexity have also played uh, at least those qualifiers. Obviously they're not a team that we expect to be massively competitive in this group but you know they they might uh, at least like you know trouble some of these teams um, but just, think, just in general between those big three it's just the problem that we haven't seen the other two play and how the break has affected them how, how much they're informed okay when you think of uh, astralis in this case they can do they obviously can't do the same thing that liquid did in the first uh, because the group is more difficult but even if we crit criticize liquid they made it through so they did their job and they didn't go early in, early into like super hard boot camp. So they are going to be like less drained going into the the real season, let's say. So it wouldn't be so surprising that Astralis did something similar. They, they're not a team that's going to be like peak performance for a blast group stage that even if you finish last and they have complexity in the group, which they're very expected, like expected to win, they're not going to be 100% potential now, right? I want to so, I, I want to tackle that logic from another angle because like that's something that cropped up during the analysis that we were doing as as a thought. Now, hear me out for a second. The calendar right now is much lighter than it was last year. Like I, like if you look at all of the events, you go, oh shit, it's just as packed. For individual teams, it's not right. If you're um if you're liquid, you don't play again now until Katowice, so you don't play for another three weeks. I mean, that right? was the case last year too, though. If but, you have, if you think about it. Well, well, it was there was points though where teams were going from event to event, or it was like only a week off between where they couldn't practice like that now, right? So, my point here is that 
I, I understand what Prof's saying. The real season, obviously, we're going to kick it off. The majors going to get going. We're going to have uh, the pro league, the B side, everything. It, it kind of it's a in the thick of all those matches. But you could only be going into some of the biggest tournaments in in, in of the year with with uh, only a few official matches. Like, I guess we could pivot this to Dan. Dan, do you think it's important to have like a lot of official matches before going into your bigger tournaments, or do you think that now that the way this year is going to go, it's it's going to be you just have to show up and rock up and and hope that everything's clicking? Uh, yeah, I think you need uh, some some official matches before big event like Katowice, which is the next big event we have. Uh, I'm gonna take the example of Natic. The the next event is uh, yeah. Katowice, so they're not gonna have like any uh, ma- uh, official match between. I think the last event was the ECL Pro League Finals to Katowice. It's like three months or three months mo- three months uh, in a row. So I think for me yeah. it would be something bad to be honest. Uh, that's why uh, I know that mouse are not in the blast, but they've done this eye uh, challenge just to to like kind of prepare. For, for Katowice. I don't think it's the main goal to win. It's just to prepare for, for next events. And as you said, to have uh, some official matches on on the back. Okay, let's do this because we're getting late. Let's let's do this. Dan, are you going to lose a single map in your group? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, obviously. Okay. Losing a map is not the end of the world. <laughs> what about a series? But, uh, a series, maybe. maybe. <laughs> we're here to, to, to win the group, but... The most important is qualify, and yeah, you're going to give the best for it. That's it. All right. Well, let's do this. It's late. Let's leave it there. I'm tired. I went on a plane today. It's fucked. It's, we've, we've run over a bit. Everyone wants to go play Counter-Strike. Uh, do we have any closing thoughts from anybody? Is everyone feeling good? Uh, I'm just going to wait. Give me, give me just one second. Like, go, go I, think we're, I think it's great. I think it was a great show. Thanks to Apex for coming on. And uh, obviously, the Prodigy agency for hooking up the the guesting of apex on this show so shout out to those guys there you go and that's that's more or less it we did it through the official channels for once we did it all professional and shit isn't that great uh what did you want to say striker i didn't really want to say anything i was just um waving this here <laughs> oh i didn't see that I, I okay cool uh brexit yeah fantastic don't my do british that passport. for my teammates my british passport sucks now press, uh, press guys, up in the chat this was episode nine uh we will be back Shit, is it the 11th? We'll be back on the 11th uh, yeah. uh, yes. next week. Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday the 11th. Uh, you can check out all the audio of the podcast, anchor.fm slash HLTV. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow everybody on Twitter that's here. Lucas, the producer, has been here. Thanks to Carmack, who we had on earlier. We'll get this vote up uh, as early as possible. And as I mentioned, we'll continue to follow this pro league and B-side story. We'll probably bring on some team owners or, or, or that kind of stuff to get their perspective about shit. Uh, But yeah, thank you for being with us. Thank you for watching Hedge TV Confirmed. Until next time, good night and goodbye.